It's the biggest size we have left in black. I want black. What else do you have? I have one other thing in this size, but it isn't black. I want black. We'll give it a try. This should fit. It's purple. It's plum. It's classy. It's plum. It's your size. Everyone will be wearing black. You'll be different. That's true. I don't want to be different. I want normal. I want socially acceptable. I want a black tuxedo. It'll look great on you. And as for what anybody else thinks, always remember these words and live by them. Screw them. You try it on. No, he won't. Put it in the dressing room. Put it on a rack. Put it on a dead guy and bury it. Two minutes and 13 seconds after the hour of 11 and this the month of November, the year of our Lord, 2007. Thank you for coming along making a part of your listening day. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Cavalcade of Whimsy. It is uh, Wednesday, and welcome to Day 12. We are here broadcasting from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970 Solid State Radio in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you for coming along. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? I'm back to speaking like a mammoth character. You want to call? Here's a number you want to call. Uh, it's 503... It sounds like Dennis Franz. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. With your comments, your clarifications, your conventions, your two cents, your uh, whatnots, your what have you, your ends, your odds, your things, your stuff, your thoughts, your ideas, your ruminations, your ponderings, your rants, your raves, your... How far can I possibly take this? Your whimsical musings. Your ironic hyperbole. Your limericks. Not so much the limericks. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, or the just plain stupid. 503-733-2970. Want to email? You can do that as well. It's uh, rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at RickEmerson.com, Sarah with an H at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or as of today, Richie with a T uh, at 970.am, R-I-T-C-H-I-E, it's Richie at 970.am. All right, there you go. It's going to be an exciting program today, and here's why I say that. I'm looking down at my matrix, and I would say it's about 40% uh, incomplete at this moment. I'm looking over the news. I would guess that the news at this point is no more than 30% sorted and categorized. I'm looking over at Tim. I'm guessing Tim is 80% prepared, maybe 20% a little ad-libbing. Probably 20% improv. You're having a good hair day today, though, Tim. Well, thank you. Right. Same hair I have every day. <laughs> You're like... You are. It does look a little windswept. No, it, it, it looks sort of... You know what it is? It looks sort of playfully tousled. That's what your hair looks like today. It's just a little bit been out in the wind. No, no, no. You should, but don't smooth it. It's, it's, it works. It looks just a little bit. It looks, uh, it looks just a little bit uh, ragged in the most appealing of ways. So there you go. Uh yeah. 
So we'll get to all of this stuff. What we're going to do here in just a second is it, I'm actually going to pull up a chair. Won't this be fun for everybody? And by fun, I mean excruciatingly tedious. I'm going to pull up a chair, I'm going to sit down, and I'm actually going to prepare the rest of the show while you listen to the scratching of my pen on paper. Hooray! It's 503 I saw that wrinkle of the nose. It's 503 I thought you said scratching, and I thought the word. Yes, the scratching of my flesh on the air. Mm-hmm. That is going to be the totality, that, and then I'll pick my nose. Then I'll have a tooth drilled. Uh, then someone will come in and uh, slowly lick my large toe. What is, goes on in your head? <laughs> I'm saying none of those things are really going to happen. That's what I meant when I said ironic hyperbole. Because it's over the top and yet completely false. What's going to happen of those things? None of them. As Ricky Roma would say. I'm just saying I'm running a little late today. So I've got all... You know what it is? It, it, this show... Here's a great cultural reference for you. Here at 11.06. Today's show is like... It's like an early stage Ravel model. It is like a Ravel model that has just come out of the box and hasn't been assembled yet. I'm looking around, and I got the plastic tabs, I got the paint, I got the primer, I got the glue, I got the decals and the stickers uh, that you affix then to the completed model. It is none of it's assembled yet. I got a great show in front of me. It's just still in its component parts. The show is in its disparate and component elements at the moment. Do you want me to play a song? In the background, so I don't have to hear you scratching. Is this going to be one of those days where I'm brilliant and you're impatient with my whimsy? Which part was brilliant? The part of somebody <laughs> sucking on your big toe or Licking. slowly I'm scratching yourself? I'm not really. I'm not scratching myself. You're making me itchy. <laughs> Thank you. Well, okay. How many people can say that though? I mean, really, what kind? Of, it's radio that makes you itchy. Let's not use that as a slogan. <laughs> all right, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. We'll do introductions and uh, go all the way around the room here in a second. Uh, a couple things I do know: we're going to be talking to CNN radio correspondent Jim Roop. Who is in? What are you still in Los Angeles or Las Vegas, right? Because they're doing the because um, they got the whole thing coming up there. They got the the what is it? The primary or another the prime the debate coming up. Uh, he's also there covering uh, covering the OJ thing, which is just driving him closer and closer to closer to suicidal despondency. Uh, we'll talk to CNN radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum uh, in New York City, where because I know that Tom Potter was it Tom Potter that proposed. Didn't he propose something about the, the giving the illegal immigrants driver's licenses or something in Portland? That sounds like a thing he'd do. He, what? Hasn't. he hasn't, but he might. Okay, is that not... What was he proposing? Oh, he wanted to build, like, a big house forever for the for them to, like, hang out in while they were waiting for the, the, where the truck to come by or something? Yeah. That was his thing. He didn't want it, workers who were not legal to be waiting in the rain. Anyway, well, in New York, though, they were doing this thing. They tried to nail Hillary on this repeatedly. Just, just, man, they were trying to pin her down on this. She is like a political cockroach, just skittering across the kitchen every time you turn on the light. They tried to nail her down on this, but I know that he's got... I think they've actually just taken the whole thing off the table. I think they've just withdrawn the whole thing. So we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum about that, and Bob Costantini will join us today, just because I enjoy talking with him. Uh, you got that. We got to... Let's see. Today's top five I hold here in my hands. Uh, today's top five. Uh, top five songs uh, related to or associated with Charles Manson. Uh, it is uh, it is Charles Manson's 73rd birthday this week, so happy birthday, Charlie, from all of us. Uh, we will do the top five songs associated with Charles Manson, not including Helter Skelter. That's not on the list. It's the top five non-Helter Skelter songs. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? So little to do, so much time. Look at these watches. And when I say look, I mean that figuratively, because, of course, you can't see them. It is radio. Here I've got, let me just go through this. I'm doing more of that thing that's irritating you. What's wrong? 
No, you're not doing anything. No, I just wouldn't have eaten my sandwich all the way, the whole thing before the show. I'm a little full. That's a huge stack of watches. It though. is. It is. It's massive. It is. It I is wish the gigantic. people could actually see them. It is ginormous. You know what the people are going to be able to see later? You know what I took a photo of yesterday? I'm getting ahead of myself here. I was uh, I was uh, visiting with CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan Reynolds, um, and. It, it, you know, we often talk about how radio is just—it's a strange and it's a strange and often stressful career to, to be in radio. And it, I'm not complaining about it as such, but it, radio as an industry is—you know—there's a little bit of stress and upheaval and stomach-churning fear that goes along with this with this business all the time. Here's an example of why. How do I put this? Here's an example of how of how great and terrible radio is all at once. I won't reveal uh, the, the, the position or anything like that, but I will just say I was in Susan's office and she was looking. She was like, oh, "I, you know, I have to go through these resumes. I got these resumes coming in for, you know, some no drama, but just some position they got to fill." And she's like, "Look at this!" And she pulled out the stack of resumes that she has so far gotten for this position. I swear to you, I'm going to put the photo up on my website later so you can see it. I swear to you, it is it is probably four inches high. This stack of resumes that she got. For this for this radio job, I mean it's unreal, it's unbelievable. And so every time you apply for any radio job everywhere, you are competing against four inches of resumes. And it's just it, the odds that all of us have somehow managed to stay employed, or that we ever became employed in the first place. I mean it's just staggering when you think about it. Anyway, this stack is not that high. This is the stack of watches we're going to get through today. Uh, we have a Britney watch right here. Ooh. Britney watch. Religious Nutcase Watch, right there. Uh, monkey Watch. Monkey Watch Part 2. Geek Watch. Uh, snuff Watch. Uh, I think that may be it. Right there. Okay, that's it. But, I mean, that's a lot right there. So I got all of those watches to get through today. Uh, we got... give some to the poor for Thanksgiving. <laughs> that's, we're not going to give coats or food. We're going to give them our list of our Britney Spears news. Um... We ought to have some contest to come up with the most useless item we could possibly give the homeless. I was at the, we were having a meeting this morning, and the stations were all talking about what they're doing. You know, Are we're we giving something? coats to who? For who? The homeless? Yeah. I mean, everyone who works here is lucky to have one coat. I was just no, gonna... no one's donated one coat or a pair of shoes. Really? I was just going to say, I, uh, what, what did I just say about having to compete against four inches worth of resumes to get this job and keep this job? Um, no. So, anyway, so I, I got to, we have some Writers Guild news. And normally, we haven't been talking about the writer's strike, but there is a fascinating little subplot going on with the writer's strike that many of our listeners will care about. We'll get to that. Uh, there's some great little Paris Hilton news we're going to get to today. Um... We're going to talk to Richie Bristol, who screens our calls and has no sense of smell, which is fascinating. Uh, and it may or may not be high concept Wednesday. That remains to be seen. I don't know whether we're going to do that or not. Uh, we've got calls coming in. We'll get those in just a second. Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification. Hello, Tim. An Oregon laboratory makes a monkey cloning breakthrough that will change the world. Two Reynolds High School students plan to scare the kids by bringing a rifle out of the school grounds. Gusty winds knock down power lines in Southeast, causing thousands to lose power. Yes, New York's governor pulls the plug in a plan to give driver's licenses to illegal aliens. A mysterious ape is seen in a sleepy Florida town. We'll have tons of OJ stuff. And the Paris Hilton Dragon Elephant story is fake. Uh -huh. The AP issues a retraction. Sure. Too late. Sure, it's fake. Yeah. It's already been disseminated. It's too late now. That's the whole thing is that the stories, there's always there's that, that quote about, you know, when, when, when fact and myth 
collide, always print the myth. I think I forget who said that, but somebody said that about when you're writing somebody's biography. You know, when the, when the facts and the myth are at odds, you always print the myth. So it is with the media now, because that story is just so fascinating. We don't care that it's fake. Doesn't matter. I don't care. It, we're we're just going to continue forward as though it were the truth. That's what we always do. All right, fantastic. Oh, and we have a special little uh, announcement for the Glorious Bastards that we're going to get to in a second. But I got to talk to Dave Zinn first. We're doing a special, um, doing a special uh, event for for some of the Glorious Bastards. Um, and if you are not a Glorious Bastard, really, you, you ought to be signing up. It's at 970.am. You can do that. Um, so we'll talk about the Glorious Bastard thing we're doing here in a second. But I got to talk to Dave Zinn first to, to make sure that I, all my ducks are in a row, as they say. I'll do a couple calls first. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello. Hey, Rick. This is Matt. Hey. How's it going? What's up? Where's your ex? He said you're playing the Malcolm X uh, yesterday, and I'm a self-loathing white person who uh, wanted to hear it. Did I say that I was going to play the Malcolm X speech? Oh, yeah. I did, didn't I? Uh, down with Whitey, you know. You, the music came on. and uh, down with Whitey, indeed. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Let me now. Everything. Hold on. Let me now do Ben Affleck doing Denzel Washington doing Malcolm X. Go. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Rick Emerson doing Ben Affleck doing Denzel Washington doing Malcolm X. Thank you. Uh, so you need the Malcolm X what? Sarah's uh, giving me the stink eye. No, no. I'm... I need it. So the description uh, was better than he the does, actual he does, Well, because I'm terrible, because I'm a terrible mimic. He does that on the Mallrats commentary. I think he... Ben Affleck talks as Denzel talking as Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. I have the Malcolm X speech if you want to hear it. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that's what I came for. Who wants to hear a litany of things the white man is guilty of? Sarah? I do. Tim? <laughs> Who wants to hear a condemnation of Whitey? All right, I'm going to put you on hold so you can hear it, sir. All right, okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Denzel Washington as Malcolm X. Assalamu alaikum. How do you feel? Who do we want to hear? Malcolm Well, let us hear from our minister, Minister Malcolm X. Let us bring him on with a round of applause. that I charged the white man. I charged the white man with being the greatest murderer on earth. I charged the white man with being the greatest kidnapper on earth. There is no place in this world that that man can go and say he created peace and harmony. Everywhere he's gone, he's created havoc. Everywhere he's gone, he's created destruction. So I charge him. I charge him with being the greatest kidnapper on this earth. I charge him with being the greatest murderer on this earth. I charge him with being the greatest robber and enslaver on this earth. I charge the white man with being the greatest swine eater on this earth. The greatest drunkard on this earth. He can't deny the charges. You can't deny the charges. You and I, we've never seen any democracy. We didn't see any democracy on the streets of Harlem, in the streets of Brooklyn, in the streets of Detroit, in Chicago. There's no democracy down there. No, we've never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. There you go. Denzel Washington is Joe Don Baker, who is Malcolm X. All right, wait, hold on. Who is, uh, hold on a second, Richie. All right, hello, sir. Oh, and he's gone. And he doesn't stick around. All right, I play him as Malcolm X. He's gone off the phone. All right, there you go. 
So we start with Angus, then we do calls, then we go to Malcolm X. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what makes this radio program singular. Uh, we're joined today, as are we always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Dillon. Why, hello. That Angus clip made me happy. The and then I forgot how, uh, how sad and... Um, you know, just that kind of painful Angus is to watch. Uh, Angus, uh, now we just, of course, it's impossible to say Angus now without thinking of that, that Jack in the Box commercial. Angus, uh, this uh, right here. It's the biggest size we have left in black. I want black. What else do you have? I have one other thing in his size, but it isn't black. I want black. And this is what they bring in the big, the big purple tuxedo. We'll talk this about this, this movie here in just a second. It's purple. It's plum. It's classy. It's plum. There you go. So there you go. That's Angus. Um, so here's the deal with that movie clip. Um, so Angus is a, a teen drama comedy, whatever. It's like a teen coming-of-age film. It came out in 1995. Uh, dramedy. <laughs> dramedy. <laughs> it came out in 95, 96. I think 95. 95. And I saw it in the theater. It came out the same weekend as... Uh, God, what else? It came out the same weekend as something else that actually was... was oh, it came out the same weekend as Usual Suspects. Because uh, I saw them, I think, back-to-back in the theater. I was one of only three people in the theater to see Angus, by the way. I don't me, think a lot of people have seen no Angus. No one saw it. No. I've seen Angus. It was a disaster. I love that movie. Angus, uh, starring Charlie Talbert. It was George C. Scott's final performance. The, the hottest balls Rita Moreno is in that film. Uh... Angus was a huge disaster at the box office, has never been put out on DVD, and the VHS is actually out of print. Are you kidding? No, it, you can't get it anywhere. Uh, they show it, they used to show it on television. I don't think they do that anymore. I remember seeing it on like USA or something a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, so there's no DVD. You can't even get the VHS. But Sarah and I have a, we have this shared love, and it's got a fantastic soundtrack. The soundtrack is like Green Day, The Riverdales, uh, The Smoking amazing... Popes, Weezer. Uh, I mean, it's just got it's got um, uh, the the Goo Goo Dolls um, back the, before they sucked. Uh, it's got Love Spit Love, which is the guy from Psychedelic Furs. Mm-hmm. It's got an amazing soundtrack, and it's a great film. It really is, and it's got George C. Scott doing the speech. The old the whole reason I want to find the movie uh, Angus on uh, VHS or, or anywhere can't find it online, can't find it anywhere, is because George C. Scott gives this amazing speech. And it is the Superman isn't brave speech, which I have sort of quoted from time to time on this program. But I don't have a, t- a, a copy of George C. E. Scott saying it. And it's George C. E. Scott saying, Superman isn't brave. You can't be brave when you're indestructible. He's impervious. Nothing can harm him. You can't be brave when nothing can harm you. And then he talks about Kathy Bates and Charlie Talbert, who are the, mo- the mom and the son of this film, about how they're brave. It's people like you and your mother who are delicate. You can be crushed, and yet you go out there every day, and you keep going out there. And it's a great speech, and I've been wanting to open the show with it. So here's a little thing about Angus. So last night, my wife says, hey, she's got like five days off in a row. She's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to the video store. And I said, hey, are you going to Movie Madness? And she said, yeah. And I said, while you're there, because if any place has it, it'll be Movie Madness. I said, while you're there... Look for this movie, Angus. It won't be on DVD. It might be on VHS, and I'll drag the VCR up from the basement or the whatever if I can find it, just so I can pull the audio off of that. So she goes to Movie Madness. She comes back. Guess what? They stock Angus. Someone rented Angus on October 12th and has never brought it back. Are you kidding? Just last night. Bastards. I had her a check in Movie Madness for that film, for Angus, and... Somebody rented it like a month ago, and is, and you know when they have it for six weeks, you know they're, you know, they're never never bringing it back. 
Somebody has a movie for six weeks. They're going to like when I rented Clerks and never returned it. Finally, the store went out of business. That's the uh, so I'm never going to be so anybody out there has a copy of the movie Angus starring, or two copies or two copies uh, starring the um, dance scene at the end and like so I'm all great. sweaty and wearing the it's a great film the velour outfit it, and it's got James Vanderbeek too. Yeah. So it's it's a great cast. It's got a couple corny moments, but all in all, it's pretty great. So well, it's got a couple corny moments. It's got a couple like really like cringe inducing. Yeah, cringe inducing because they're moments. so real moments. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like with, so, his, with his best friend Angus. It's just a fantastic film. So if you ever if you ever run across a copy of Angus on VHS, you let Rick Emerson wet his beak. Uh, well, let's do a couple of these, and then we'll uh, do a little bit more talk here, and then we'll break. And we got uh, everything coming up later on. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Uh, traveling back to yesterday in a Cosby discussion, yeah. uh, I'm sure you've seen Bill Cosby himself. Oh, yeah. I Let me just tell you this. Like many people of my generation, I have not only seen Bill Cosby himself with the weird color-shifting background and that tie of his that exactly. is crooked. It is crooked yes, for yes. the entire film. And if you've seen Bill Cosby himself, which is maybe, some people argue, his definitive stand-up work, it's Two hours of him doing stand-up comedy, most of it sitting in a chair. For the entire film, his tie is crooked, and it's sort of like at an L angle. And yeah. you want to reach up. Here's the thing. I want George Lucas to take that film and, and take it to Skywalker Sound or, you know, or to, to, to Skywalker Ranch, and I want them to CGI Bill Cosby's tie in that film so it is no longer crooked, so I'm not clawing at the goddamn television screen trying to straighten it. Jeez. Yeah, but there's a few moments of discomfort in that thing. I don't know, uh, when he talks about killing his son, Ennis. Yes. That always troubles me. Well, Bill, man, but i got to tell you, Bill Cosby is so great and so talented. And just, just there is only one Bill Cosby. I mean, that guy is a master. Total brilliant. And I don't really care for that sort of drawn-out improvisational comedy that he does, but he can pull it off. He's just... Yeah, unless it's him. Flat-out genius. The guy's amazing. Have you seen the movie Comedian with Jerry Seinfeld? No. Okay, you got to rent a movie called Comedian. It is a documentary where they follow... This is uh, after Seinfeld went off the air, the television show. This is when Jerry Seinfeld is getting ready to do his stand-up comedy act again, but for the first time in his career, he is creating all new material. He's doing a whole new set, no old jokes, no old material. And they follow him around the country from small club to small club as he works out his new set. There is a sequence, though, where he goes on this pilgrimage and he gets to meet Bill Cosby, who is his idol. And there's a little... It's so poignant and great where they show Jerry Seinfeld sitting backstage talking to Bill Cosby. And the awe... And just the childlike glee on Jerry Seinfeld's face when he's getting to meet Bill Cosby is, it's very sweet. It's its an amazing film. So you, you ought to see it. Oh, I'm sure. Now, on the Britney thing, yesterday, yeah. uh, the first thing that popped in my head when you guys were talking about her dying, which you've done a lot, I think it's, I think it's different. The first thing that popped into my head was the Behind the Music episode of Culture Club with uh, George O'Dowd and the white face makeup. Have you seen that? When he's passing out backstage at a big... What are we talking about? But, well, what I'm saying is Britney's destiny is to end up like that with people dying in her house or killing somebody on the road. We're not going to be blessed enough to get rid of her. But, well, of course... She's we... going to wreck other lives. Oh, no. Well, continue to wreck other lives. I mean, yeah, somebody... we'll have Jim Roop on a trial. Uh, and again, let me be very clear about this. We're not going to take any active role in... in, in... <laughs> we're not going to take any active role in her death. But somebody asked me why we were so laissez-faire about Britney dying, and I pointed out it's because there is no one, no one, who is served by having her alive. 
Not her children, not her Nobody. ex-husband, not her family, not the public, not the record company. Uh, well, TMZ. Yeah. No, but I mean, think about it. They can milk this. Look at that. They've been milking Anna Nicole for like six months now. So. Exactly. All right. Thank you, sir. Best show ever. I love the banana. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Uh, how are you, Sarah? Other than I'm good. Overfed. I, I found the um, petition online to, for Angus to be put on DVD, and I'm posting it on my website. And it came out on VHS, and 3, then it was out of print. It's, there's no DVD copy, and there are a lot of deleted scenes that never made it into theatrical release. Uh, it's based on a short story that I've never had the chance to read, but it's Angus is, and I'm not going to say it's perfect. There's a, kind of a corniness at the end. There's a moment at the end that makes me squirm a little because it's very corny, but... I'll forgive it because, like, 92% of the film is genius. Mm -hmm. And that soundtrack is... Wasn't Mazzy Star on that soundtrack, yeah. too? Yeah, it's, it's great. It is, like, it's unbelievable how great that soundtrack is. It, and it's produced... The soundtrack is produced by Rob Cavallo, who produces all the Green Day's records. Ah, uh, let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Yes. I know where there sits a copy of Angus on VHS, and I am currently en route to go get it. Can you... Uh, what kind of place? It is a actually it's 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 a, a junk shop of questionable virtue in deep southeast. But they have a copy of Angus on VHS. They have a copy of Angus is on it, VHS. Is it really good stuff? And, and is, no, well, we don't want to give it away. We don't want somebody to beat us there. No, it's it's not. It's it doesn't even have a name. But you're picking this up for us. I will pick that up for you. Rick Emerson will reimburse you uh, that plus a little something for your trouble if you can bring that by. Well, actually, I have a request for the something for my little trouble. All right. I want a sounder. And this is Dante the cab driver, right? It is Dante yeah. the cab driver. All right. All right, Dante, you will All get right. that sounder. Yeah, one, if that's in my hot little hand, uh, you will, uh, you'll get yourself a sounder, sir. It'll be there in 24 hours. You Thank you. You have my word on it. Thank you, my friend. Okay, bye. You're doing the Lord's work. Excellent. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I look like Moby Grape. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Fantastic. Excellent. There you go. Thank you. The great thing about Angus, the movie, and I know that we're going on about a movie that almost no one has seen, but you really ought to see it if you ever get the chance, is that they avoid a lot of the stereotypes because Angus... It's not the thing, you know, in most high school films, it's where the football player is picking on, you know, the, the math nerd or the football player is picking on the drama geek or whatever. Angus himself is a football player. He's kind of an athlete. Mm -hmm. um, but he's also a misfit and, you know, he's fat and he's a stooge and he's whatever. So it's great that and they... very, very sweaty. And they skirt a lot of those cliches by not making him the stereotypical dork. And they don't make everyone else, like, like... You know, stabbingly cruel. Like, it makes right. him realistically cruel. And, you know, when he's got the great uh, relationship with Kathy Bates, it's just it's a great film. One more, and then we got a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Uh, I was just wondering if you've ever seen the movie or documentary, whatever you want to call it, uh, Heavy Metal Parking Lot. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, Heavy Metal Parking Lot is... Heavy Metal Parking Lot, which is a, a I want to say a documentary, but it's, it's like a home movie filmed outside a Judas Priest concert in, like, 85, I think. Um... Out on DVD, I have a copy of that at my house. Came out. Yep. I got a copy. I have a bootleg copy of that that I bought years ago, sitting right next to my bootleg DVD copy of Decline of Western Civilization to the Metal Years. Nice. Yeah, yeah no, I bought them at a swap meet at a Moose Lodge. The new DVD one has a whole lot of stuff. They've got the, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Harry Potter parking lot. The, and Neil he's done, Diamond yeah, he's done lot. Neil Diamond parking lot. Yeah, it is great. It's about 20 minutes of just interviewing just these wasted dudes and dudettes in a parking lot outside a priest concert like 20 years ago. What is it? My name's Brad, 20 it, years old. Here to I'm here to rock. It is just it is a, an absolutely brilliant slice of American culture. 13 year old. <laughs> it's it's 
And the, the, the great thing is, like, the one girl talking about how she wants to jump Rob Halford's bones. Well, what about the guy at the hot. very end? The guy at the very end that's like, you know, Judas Priest, yeah, and he rattles off all the members, and then he's like, Rob Halford. I don't know about that guy. <laughs> well, that's back-to-back -back with the woman that, that is like, her goal is to sleep with Rob Halford. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I jump his bones. You're the best. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Rick. That's fantastic. Have you ever seen Heavy Metal Parking Lot? Yes, I have. Genius. Genius. It really was very entertaining. Tim Riley, have ye seen the Heavy Metal Parking Lot? I have not, and I'll put it on my list. Do try to catch it. All right. You know, all right. I think that's it. Oh, and when we get back, um, when we get back, we will talk about this cool thing we're doing for the Glorious Bastards tomorrow night. It is uh, AM 970's Geeks Night Out. Uh, that we're doing for for some of the folks. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that when we return. Uh, plus, Bob Costantini, Steve Kastenbaum, Jim Roop, top five songs related to Charles Manson. Britney, watch. Oh my, oh my, what a busy day. So we'll take a break. We'll come back after this. You stay there, Sir Rico. The Rick Emerson Show. The show has the best music. It really does. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. Uh, later on this hour, that's Bob Costantini. At noon, it's Tim Riley from the Ministry of Truth. Later on, the top five, uh, James Roop, and so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, please make way for Steve Kastenbaum, CNN radio correspondent from New York City. Hello, sir. How's it going? Let me just tell you this. I spent the better part of my work day uh, after the show yesterday showing everybody in the building the Afro Ninja clip. <laughs> Did he really? Wandering from, uh, wandering from room to room, floor to floor, department to department, making sure that everybody in the building had seen Afro Ninja yesterday. So thank you for that, sir. I can't stop laughing when I, when I even think about oh it. Oh, my God. And then I went home and I, my, uh, I, I asked my wife, I said, hey, have you checked out my webpage today? And she said, no, why? And I said, oh, my God. And, you know, just immediately, sit down. And of course, you know, I made the, made made sure the whole thing was queued up and just loaded and ready. And I said, I said, hold on a second. I was like adjusting the speakers. I'm like, hold on, you gotta you gotta hear it with the sound. Um, and then I played it, and of course, she just found it hysterical. And it's and and then what am I doing? Like an idiot, just sitting there, just pressing the button over and over, watching it eight, nine, ten, twelve times in a row yesterday. Isn't it crazy how it never gets old? It never. It, it doesn't ever lose its replay value. You're right about that. There is. It's just got this. It's just got this rewatch value that is unparalleled. And I've seen a lot of hilarious things uh, online. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of guys fall off of things, walk into walls, be hit in the face with something. Uh, this really is this really is kind of its own creation, though the Afro Ninja thing. And and you do wonder. Part of me wonders, and yet part of me doesn't want to know the story behind this. Like, <laughs> why were they taping it? For what reason was it being filmed? So we'll uh, we'll close out this segment by watching that one more time here, just a few. But I I, I want to catch up on a couple of things. Um, a and I think we were we were going to talk about this yesterday, and we ran out of time and everything. But I I, I did want to ask about this real quickly. Speaking of of YouTube, which is where this Afro Ninja thing was, 
So what is the deal with this? There was this guy last week, I think, in Finland who shot up his school. Oh, yeah. And, but then they found that he put all these nutcase things on YouTube about, like, hey, I'm going to shoot my school up, and here's how I'm going to do it. And he just and posted all of these weird journal entries beforehand. And I don't know, was he another one that ended up killing himself or the cops caught him? Whatever happened to that guy? Uh, uh, you know what? That's a really good question. I'm I not. Think, I, I think he killed himself, but I know that the, the reason we were going to talk about it was um, because of this connection with this 14-year-old right. kid, uh, outside Philadelphia. Yeah. So it turned out that uh, the, the the 18-year-old from Finland had been chatting with the 14-year-old in Pennsylvania who was recently arrested for allegedly plotting to carry out a massacre at his school. And guess where they met? In a chat room on a website that sort of glorified and, and ionized, uh, lionized, ionized, lionized uh, the Columbine shooters. The, the internet really is just the strangest place, and I know that that seems like an understatement, but I mean, I'm not trying to be to, to, to make light of this, but it does remind me of I, I was on I, I was on some article the other day, some article on Dig or something, and they were talking about somebody had compiled a list of the ten strangest. I don't even want to say sexual fetishes, but just ten strangest fetishes for which they were dedicated websites. And, like, one fetish was just nothing but, like, videos of fully clothed women sneezing. And, I mean, that's all it was. It was just, like, dozens and dozens of videos culled from movies, television, homemade videos of just, like, chicks looking at a camera and then sneezing. That's weird. I mean, it's totally weird. And, I mean, you know, whatever, to each his own. Uh, it's just very strange. And I know in... um Japan lately, there's been a lot of this uh, controversy, as they say, over some of these websites that are like how to kill yourself websites. It's like pro, it's like suicide websites for like p folks who just can't figure out how to get it done. And then there's like some website where you can meet up and discuss how you're going to do it with other people. So I guess it doesn't surprise me there'd be some website like a like a Go Columbine kind of website. You know, um, CNN just did a whole uh, expose on all of these websites that are out there, and literally. Dozens and dozens of tribute videos on YouTube to the two Columbine shooters, and then all these websites talking about them as being heroes. It's the internet is. I have this. Uh, I have this theory that whatever you look at, read, research, search for uh, on the internet, that that's kind of who you really are. That they, the internet is sort of this oracle, this magic mirror that shows like what you really are. So whatever it is that you're actually looking at online. Pardon me. That is sort of you know that is sort of which which does give give you like you know a, the creeps on a scale of you know like a, a twelve on the scale of one to ten when you consider that there's a bunch of uh, disgruntled kids any number of whom probably have access to firearms that are at home filming tributes to uh, you know to Dylan uh, Dylan Klebold you know in their free time it's just it's strange and I don't know that it's even illegal right it's just it's just a yeah. thing that's creepy. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not illegal. It's a it's a freedom of speech thing. Yeah. There you go. Um, Let's uh, transition uh, rather abruptly from that to, and the reason I bring this up is because I know they were talking about this in California, and uh, the idea has been floated here in the People's Republic of Portland of giving uh, so-called undocumented uh, immigrants driver's licenses. And I know you and I talked about that, but I guess now they've just sort of taken this off the table in New York. It was, they kind of floated yeah. it, and everybody screamed about it and said it's not going to happen. Tremendous amount of controversy surrounding this issue here in New York, and and finally... Uh, Governor Elliot Spitzer just uh, this morning had to withdraw the proposal. He said, you know, it was just not going to win out over all of the roadblocks that were being put up over it. And uh, he was really upset, though, about not just the fact that he had to, you know, you know, pull this proposal, but also how this turned from what he saw as an issue regarding safer roads and, and knowing who's here in New York behind the wheel 
being turned into a bigger debate about the American Im- uh, immigration policy issue. And uh, well, well, he was just talking about um, tactics of, of, of fear being used and, and injected into this. And uh, he said, uh, it, you know, he's really sorry that this happened, but... Uh, there wouldn't be a problem in the first place if the federal government would just get its act together and and do something about uh, immigration policy in the U.S. Well, and there's so and there's so much of that uh, of the different agencies just not working with each other, which is why the driver's license thing, I guess, on depending on how you look at it, either makes sense because there's this uh, it's just this sort of wall between some of the various agencies, or it makes no sense at all because it is just sort of uh, enabling uh, just this non-communication. For example, I know here in Portland, there's been a lot of talk lately about how when I think I'm I think I'm saying this correctly that if you are driving a car in Portland and the cops pull you over because you blew a red light uh, or you you know you you ran into somebody or whatever, that I think the cops in Portland are actually not allowed to ask if you are a legal citizen. I think they can ask for. They can ask for ID, like so. If you run through a red light, they can ask for the ID of people in the car, like a passenger um, or the guy driving. But I think they are not allowed to ask if anybody in the car is an illegal immigrant. Well, you know what's going on across the U.S. Uh, because the feds have failed to act on this one way or the other and just really Im- improve the laws and just set the rules in, in stone here and, and sort of enforce the rules what's going on is you know every local municipality whether it's just a small town a a big city or an entire state they're all pretty much taking the pulse of 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 their population figuring out where the public opinion is and then creating their own policy to reflect that right so so that's what you're winding up here with winding up with this patchwork of policies that are that seem to be at at two different extremes like there's that in portland where they can't even ask you whether you're here uh legally or illegally to uh, some, some things that were going on in a town in Pennsylvania where it became illegal uh, to even rent an apartment to uh, an illegal uh, alien or to employ one, and that the, the, uh, the, the lo- local town and their police were actually going to be proactive in, in seeking out those right. landlords that were doing it. So you're winding up with these extremes on, on either end here because... The, the federal government is just failing to, to act on immigration policy. Well, that's good, because we're running out of things to disagree on in this country. So, you know, that'll be going to be an, an endless cavalcade of uh, discussion about that. Let's wrap this up on a positive note. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen, I now once again on the air watch Afro Ninja. <laughs> Hold on, here we go. And scene. <laughs> 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 I am convinced that is a symbol that he's falling into a crash symbol. I have no idea. I really don't know. I mean, it just it, as I said, it does sound like he just he tripped and fell into Buddy Rich. I mean, I don't even understand. But you know what? I don't even need to know. I mean, the background would be fantastic to understand, but it's not really necessary. It would just be icing on the cake at this point. Oh man, see so far. For I every, think, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say, I think Sarah takes pleasure in our simple stupidity. Well, it is listening to you guys laugh like little banshees does make me happy. Know, we're men. We're easily. We are essentially one-celled organisms. So uh, you know, that's the sort of thing uh, that does make the internet really worthwhile. Yes, it allows nutcase morons to congregate with one another. Uh, you know, but on the other hand, it allows me to see a guy falling <laughs> on his face and then tripping off camera and crashing into a pile of crockery. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, Steve. Enjoy the rest of your. Day. We will talk to you soon, my friend. 
So long, folks. The Captain Bond, ladies and gentlemen. God bless him. All right. Oh, somebody sent me. Uh, we got a couple seconds here. Hold on before Bob Costantini calls in. Let me make a note to myself. Uh, oh, the CNN correspondents are all, aren't all on top of each other today. Yes. This is good. Yes, they are. Uh, okay, so during the next break, I don't think I've talked at the time to talk to Dave Zinn now about this uh, glorious bastards thing we're doing. Probably, I should probably wait on that. Um, I will say this. Somebody sent us the weirdest... Uh, Richie Bristol, will you uh, please join us in the studio for a second? If you can come to the studio, and then we'll talk about uh, the, the other Richie Bristol issues uh, later. But uh, I do want to ask What, sitting right him, there? Well, there's that. But somebody... I'm gonna make. I don't know if this is actually from Richie or not. Uh, Richie Bristol, hello. Yeah, grab the middle one. And how are you? Good. Oh, hi. Um, so pleased to be telling me about this Richie Sounder that you sent to me. Which one? The the one that you oh, sent to me yesterday. Oh, I have it too. Did you did you make this yourself? The one you sent to me no, yesterday? No, I found it on the internet. Really? Where? Who is it? Where is it from? Uh, it's a parody for Lionel Richie. So it's somebody. A, wait, it's oh. a whole song. Right? Oh. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. What is that a parody of? <laughs> what is that? A, I don't know. I think it's a joke. I don't know. But I mean, is that a parody of an existing song? It was too Lionel Richie, I guess. Like I think that sounds like another song. Creepy. Who makes who records that for Lionel Richie? That's actually weirder. All right. So that was because we don't have any. Uh, you know, I would say they'd just be like Richie, come in the studio. So we. You know, Richie's already a little off because I stole something very important to him. Now do we have time to talk about this? Okay. So let me just give a little backstory <laughs> for those who came in late, as they say in the Phantom. Uh, Richie Bristol, uh, call screener extraordinaire and man about town, has, wait for it, no sense of smell. And I don't mean no sense of smell like when they say, well, that guy has no sense of, you know, that guy has no sense of fashion. I mean, literally, you can't smell anything, nope. right? Now, please to explain again how that happened. Uh, I used to work chemical waste treatment. So it wasn't, oh. when you first told the story, I thought it was like, you worked in a rendering plant or something where like you just smelled bad stuff all day and then your nose in, in protest just turned off. But this isn't it. This is that you used to inhale chemicals, which have they have damaged your olfactory receptors. Right. Did that Can happen you smell gradually? Anything at all? Uh, I didn't really notice it till like five years ago. But I mean, did you think it happened gradually, or is it one day your nose just turned off? I think one day it just said. And that oh, that's it. scary. How long ago was that? Did I can't it happen? Remember, I just multiple sudden, many years ago. Yeah, I realized I didn't stink. And so, can you <laughs> smell? Sarah, can you smell at all? Uh, once in a while, like I do an antihistamine or something like that, or an uh, inhaler or something. And, and your sense of taste hasn't been diminished. No, I love food. So it's really weird. <laughs> okay. so strange. So what we discovered is that I had no idea this was the case, because somebody had asked why you always had a bottle of cologne with you. And ever and I had never noticed it until somebody asked me. And then I noticed it. But it's that, not just one bottle; it's multiple bottles. Yeah. So when you're sitting back there screening calls and doing all your stuff during the show, and you do a lot of things, you always have this bottle of cologne. And we're like, why? And you go, well, I have no sense of smell. That you that you just said matter of factly, and I wasn't quite sure how to respond to that. So actually, now, how many bottles of cologne do you carry with you on a daily basis? Like at any given moment, if I were to stop you, like in the morning with your bag. Well, I should have one on me, but there's one in the truck, one in the car, one in the house, one in the. You're oh, like those guys that have a. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, you're like one of those guys that has a gun under every bed and in every pillow. So you're slightly OCD about the smell thing. 
Kind of. Not even slightly. I mean, you're carrying these things around with you. You brought two in today. And this is because you're, you are uh, apprehensive that at some point, if you, you forget deodorant or whatever, that you might have body odor and not realize it. Because some, one time, one person told you that you smelled and you didn't know. Yeah, Jerome Kersey. That's like this guy, Adrian that? Mays, who told me that I'd be hot if I was tan. The blazer. The old blazers. The Re- he told you you smelled? Well, I went out on appearance on him and I didn't realize I was wearing my... My shirt, my other promotion shirt. Right, my that cat. hadn't washed or something. Well, my cat peed on it. Oh, oh. So you smelled of cat urine at a restaurant. At a remote. At, at, at oh, a, God, because your house might smell and you don't know. Yeah, and then I got back at the station and basically they sent out a complaint that I stunk. <gasps> oh, my God. Was this an intercom? Yeah. Intercom. What at? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that. That's mean. Wait, a guy told you you'd be hot if you tanned? Yeah. No, he said that he'd be hot. He's like, yeah, you're kind of cute, but you'd be hot if you were tan. You know Adrian what? Adrian Mays. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, if you hadn't used his last name, I was going to say something. No, his life didn't turn out well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then I guess that's all. That's already worked itself out, hasn't it? <laughs> I see Bob Gothentini in the light, so we'll get to him in just a second. Um, so what, what colognes do you have now with you, Richie? Uh, Geneva and Tommy today. Sarah? Now, would you like to... Res- we need like- to take Richie Cologne shopping, because frankly, Richie, you smell like an eighth grade boy. I got Dracar and... <laughs> oh, Dracar dude, noir. you smell like 1992. <laughs> um, well, then, here's a good question. This is fascinating to me. How do you pick out cologne if you can't smell? That's why I just have a whole bunch of different ones. On um, the law of averages that some of them are bound to smell good? I mix them, too. You mix them together? No. Even I know that, dude. I'm the I'm the lamest, straightest guy on earth, and even I know you don't mix your colognes together. Well, it's better than body odor. That's all I know. No, no because there's nothing no, worse not than true. body odor and cologne. Combined. I was just gonna say you can't. I was <laughs> great. Now I got. I was gonna say, and this is not a reference to you, Richie, but rather to body odor. As Roddy Piper says, and they live. You cannot put perfume on a pig, Richie. So if you smell, and then you're putting a bad cologne on top of it, you smell like a bad fragrant sweat sock. I made the effort, though. All right. Please, please stay. <laughs> you can just hang out. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. CNN Radio Correspondent, Bob! Mr. Tini! Hello, Rick. Hi, Bob. How are you? It's more exciting every time. It really does. It's because every day I'm more enthused <laughs> to speak with you. Um, I appreciate that. May I ask a, a slightly personal question, Bob? Do you wear a cologne? Uh, yes, I do. May I ask what cologne you wear? Uh, whatever my wife tends to give me. Now, do you are you do you know what that is? For example, I uh, I I only have I I'll in fact I'll answer the question first so that nobody feels uncomfortable. I only own two colognes. Uh, yeah. I own one that is called Curve, and I have mm-hmm. one that is called XS. Uh, that's the letter X, the letter S. Uh, those and I don't really wear cologne all that often anymore. I used to wear it. I don't wear much anymore. But I use if I wear cologne, I either wear XS or Curve. Um, do you know the name of the cologne you wear, Bob? I uh, I used to like Aramis, but um, uh, that that was a while ago. And what they gave me recently is a symbol I don't even understand. <laughs> what, it doesn't have a name? It's just got like a... I, I don't know what it was. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. Well, all right then. <laughs> um, so wrapping up uh, this business of Michael McCasey being sworn in yeah. uh, as the Attorney General. So this is, what is it? It's already happened. It was this morning, wasn't it? Yeah, technically he was sworn in last Friday, but they had a big ceremonial swearing in today with uh, President Bush involved and saying that uh, Mukasey has his utmost confidence, um, that kind of thing. Um, it's um, 
it, it, you know, already we've seen at least a sign that uh, Mukasey is going to be considerably more independent of the White House than um, Alberto Gonzalez has been. The Justice Department is reopening an investigation into um, uh, into the government's no warrants uh, wire warrantless wiretap program, as they uh, call it. Now, is this? So he's not screwing around. He wasn't even officially on the job, and he was already starting to. Do yeah, no, he, he he he. Technically, he was on the job starting last Friday, but this is one of the this is a, a key thing because President Bush himself had uh, blocked this probe previously by refusing to give clearance to Justice Department investigators who were going to uh, investigate the idea of. Um, the approval for the warrantless wiretap program and how it was handled. So um, this is Mukasey showing certainly an independent streak, and he's not a personal friend of the president. Uh, and um, you know he's he's only he's going to be here for uh, about 14 more months. So it's um, no, he's a sh- thing he, I mean under the best of, he's a short timer under the best of circumstances. Yes. All right. That's for sure. Uh, I'm sorry, I got a little thing coming on my throat there. Uh, all right, my friend, as always, we appreciate the updates and uh, your uh, unmatchable intelligence and panache. All right, Bob Cotton, thank you, sir. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Hill, that was CNN Radio Correspondent. Bob Constantine. All right. Mile. Uh, all right, Richie. So, um, well, we got to do this, and then we have to we'll have to take a break and move on. We're going to address this later. People have people have got already emailing in questions and observations for you. Look, I, before before I smell the cologne, do you when you go to the cologne counter, do you ask the advice of the woman who's selling it? No. You just randomly pick whatever. You tell them it? that you can't smell. No. Oh, dude, we got to get. Okay, can I smell the colognes you have? Sure. All right. Never mind. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I only know how to dress or how to wear anything because Sarah and a procession of gay men have taken me shopping. So, all right, hold on. This is Tommy. Tommy. Right. Tommy. All right. Do I unscrew this? Yep. All right. Hmm. This smells like Old Spice. All right. <laughs> oh, you that. don't know. I'm looking at Richie for confirmation. Richie, this smells like Old Spice, doesn't it? I realize now you wouldn't know. This does smell like Can Old Spice. Uh, see, also your dad. Uh, all right, careful with that. It's if we spill cologne in the studio, Jeff McGinley will come back and kill us. All right? And this is... Okay, here's how you that know... Smells... Okay, two things. A, here's how you know this is good. Please don't it, squirt any of it. Right? It actually, no, no, no. It actually says on the front of this one... What is this? Fine cologne. It actually says fine cologne fine on the cologne? front of Where it. did you get that? It's huge. That's like when something says good wine on the front. Um, and this is actually the test... Okay, this is... Well, all right then. That's you actually like that that's actually not so bad. It's a little milder. All right, hold on. Careful. All right, I'll give you back Tommy. Uh, okay, careful. All right, so okay. that's all right. Excellent. Fine cologne. <laughs> that's actually not so bad. It's this a little, is a little more musky. It's that's it's a little um, what's the word? I never know how to describe scents. You never realize how hard it is to describe a scent until you try to do it. It's I want to say it's not as sharp. There's a little more body not to it. Pungent. It's not as I mean it's I know this is all giving me a headache. Yeah, me too. All right. Put <laughs> these over here. Richie, we have to take you shopping. And all by right. we I mean I don't know, somebody. Um uh, and I'm not saying those are bad as such. I, I prefer the the one that's not the Tommy. But I mean it just seems like y- here's my take on this, Richie. 
I, it seems like my assessment of this is you want to take somebody with you who kind of knows, knows what they're doing, has a good nose on them, uh, and then you find one that is, uh, you know, that you can that you can afford and it's and it is good, and then you stick with it. That way, that see that then a you don't have to worry about it, and then you have a trademark scent as well. See what I'm saying? But I'll lose the bottle. What do you mean? If I just have one of them. Really? Is that true? Yeah. Have you lost bottles of cologne before? Is that, that why you have like so a many of them? Fear. Well, I yeah. Lose, I lose things in my truck. But I thought you said you have one in your truck. I know, but it's probably under something. Do you know how <laughs> overwhelming the urge is to just bring in a whole bunch of vile things and put them in front of you to have you smell them? I mean, it's, it's over. I just want to get a big pile of meat that's been sitting in the sun for like a year and just bring it in and see if you can smell it. Jen Kim. You are the perfect candidate to take Jenkum. Oh, God, no, Rick, no, 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 listen, listen to me now. Because you can't smell it, but it would presumably still get you high if it, in fact, has that effect, right? It would probably kill him. No, no, no. We, no, we no, it might give him leukemia and bone marrow destruction, but still. <laughs> Hollowed out bones. Exactly. So, so, you, so you wouldn't be able to smell it, but it might actually get you high. Okay, I'm Sweet. putting. A, I'm thinking. I'm putting a pin in that until later. All right, Richie Bristol. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'll talk to you more later. Uh, take a break here. We'll come back, and on the inside of my nose smells like Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, let's see. We'll come back after this with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. More of your phone calls later on. Jim Rupert in the top five. You stay there. Emerson radio program. Uh, we got all of these calls about Rich, Richie's smelling problem. Uh, any number of these are probably just going to be cologne suggestions, though, which are kind of pointless. People yeah. don't wear cologne anymore. Well, and not only that, but a guy, I mean, no offense, but Unless a guy. trying to impress some dame. A guy, or cover up your own stink. A guy calling up and trying to describe a cologne over the air is just going to be pointless, I think. But we'll, but we should take this one. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick, it's White Man. Hello, sir. Hey, uh, I was just going to make a suggestion for cologne. I don't really need to describe it. All that I can say is that it's always worked for as far as uh, being an alluring smell to the females. Uh-huh. To the females. Listen up, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Aqua de Gio by Giorgio Armani. Now, yeah, a, Aqua de Gio? This yes. is, is this like a sequel to Aqua Velva? <laughs> No, no, actually, that that's... Uh, Make that's it an aqua velva night. Well, if the white man says that it's good. <laughs> then it, it's got to be Trust good. me, it's good. How, it's do you, good. how do you spell that, sir? Uh, it's, let's see, it's aqua and then D-I and then G-I-O. Aqua de Gio. Yeah. All right, excellent. It's like a frosty glass bottle with a silver top. All oh, right. and then before I go, yeah. Um, have you guys watched Goddess Bunny on YouTube yet? No. The answer to any question about have you seen something on YouTube is almost always no, because there's like 500,000 things on YouTube. If there's any possible way you could view that on air and hear, and so I can hear your reaction, that would be awesome. Uh, I think we've what kind of... the whole thing. What sort of video is this, sir? It's nothing vulgar. It's just uh -huh. pretty strange. Actually, Sarah, I, I sent you a uh, thing on MySpace that has a link to the video. Okay. All right. Well, we'll look into it. 
Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, your personal savior, Tim Riley. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. All right. We begin this broadcast with a monkey watch. Fantastic. Here's your monkey watch for Wednesday of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Once again, Oregonians are making life better for everyone. Some mad scientists have made a breakthrough in the ability to clone embryonic stem cells, those with DNA identical to an adult monkey, and these are Oregon monkeys. From the Oregon National Primate Research Center, uh, they said the lab has created two stem cell lines whose genetic code came from skin cells off a monkey's ears. The Oregon scientists are expected to announce oh, further crazy. breakthroughs. Where did your coming come from? Out of a monkey's ear? Mm-hmm. But these are Oregon monkeys. That's not like making a sow's ear into a purse, right? This is like making a monkey's ear into your yeah. liver. Uh, scientists have tried for years to clone monkey embryos and extract stem cells because monkeys are closely related to humans, other than other lab animals. So monkey work is expected to give hints about how to do this in people. You know, I can never tell what animal is the closest to humans because you hear that thing about pigs, too. They say, no, pigs are almost identical to humans in, in many ways. And then you hear about dolphins, although maybe that's just a speech center. Although, you know, dolphins don't ever talk to anybody, so that must be a load of crap. When's the last time a dolphin said anything to anybody? No, they just shake their noses. <laughs> they just get, you know, dad's trapped in a boat. Um, but, I mean, but monkeys, they had that, uh, well, there's Coco, we've talked about that, but there was some other monkey that died a couple weeks ago that was, like, talking to people. Just talking up a storm. Uh, then we have a mysterious ape sighting bringing excitement to a sleepy Florida town of Glen St. Mary's. Wait, hold on. A town in Florida. Don't even try. Residents ah. have been hearing screeches in the night and stories of sightings on every corner. Uh, this is the kind of, I've seen the Bigfoot feel to it, says a local reporter. They said it made a nest in the tree, and it's probably somewhere in that area. Some believe this mysterious animal is an orangutan. One local family I had found what looked like to be an orange ape high up in the tree. The uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, which is in charge of uh, crazy apes, uh, who answered the uh, original the crazy complaint, ape division of the Fish and Wildlife Department. Said there's definitely something up that tree, but they're not sure what it is. Apparently they haven't sent anyone up. Is there but a they, photo? Yeah, they did take some jelly donuts and left it at the bottom of the tree, hoping to lure the creature to the ground. Yeah, that's creepy looking. Mm-hmm. All right. They haven't seen this uh, thing since. That thing will kill you. So some it's evil. No, it's evil. That's not from. That's not of this earth. Oh, it's kind of cute. Yeah. It looks like its face is flat. I was just gonna say it's cute until it's tearing out this your needs spine. To be, this needs to be cloned in an Oregon laboratory. It's cute until it's sucking the marrow out of your bones. It's uh, a mysterious ape. Where did it come from? Well, they're trying to catch it with what jelly donuts? Yeah. I, somebody has seen too many episodes of a poorly produced Hanna Barbera cartoon. Mm-hmm. All right. Part three. Monkeys rampage in an Indian capital. Uh, just weeks after the Indian capital's deputy mayor toppled to his death fighting off a pack of monkeys, the animals are back on the attack. That's kind of a great and funny way to go out, though. That's like that Monty Python movie where the guy gets to choose his own means of execution, mm-hmm. and he's chased down the street by naked girls on roller skates who then push him off a cliff. I mean, this is really, I want to go out fighting a horde of monkeys and falling over a balcony onto the bamboo spikes. Well, that's one way to get rid of your mayor. Have them attacked by deadly monkeys. Not that we're suggesting anything. This is only in India. It doesn't happen here. doesn't happen here, yes. Our, our peace-loving monkeys are used to uh, to advance the world of science. <laughs> not the peaceful Adam. Not, not, not the clip. 
kill mayors. No, of course not. The peaceful primate. All right. Uh, one woman was seriously hurt, and two dozen others were given first aid after monkeys rampage through a neighborhood in East Delhi. That's uh, in India. There were three or four monkeys involved. Wildlife officials are trying to find them. As police, they're not experts in dealing with monkeys. We can deal with mad bulls, but monkeys are more difficult, they say. Among the estimated 35,000 sacred cows and buffalo that run free around the capital... And these are literal sacred cows, not yeah. the figurative type. Marauding monkeys have long-standing uh, pestful uh, reputations. They routinely scamper through government offices, courts, and even police stations and hospitals, as well as terrorizing neighbors. How is it that a movie hasn't been made out of this yet? How is it that, like, the Farrelly Brothers or somebody hasn't cranked out a movie about rampaging monkeys? Imagine living... I mean, I'm just making this observation. Imagine living in a society where just... Just for no readily apparent reason, everything is infested with monkeys. Yeah, you're just sitting there trying to fill out a you know a form five seven J stroke nine dash five at the office. It, it, meanwhile, there's a bunch of orangutans just swinging from the chandeliers and throwing their feces at you. Well, there's a uh, one million rupee uh, bounty being placed on capturing these uh, racist monkeys. Fantastic. That are running around the neighborhood. Excellent. So uh, that's the monkey. Watch. There you go. There's your three part monkey watch for Wednesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Fantastic. Let's see, we've got, uh, well, let me get a couple of these. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. This is Beowulf. Stop that. But seriously. Honestly, no. Seriously. I mean, come on. People still surprise me. I know. Out of their mouth. Really, honestly, <laughs> you would think at this point that I would no, surprise me at no, all. no longer be shocked or embarrassed for the things that our audience sometimes calls us to say on the air. That call started bad. I should have known that it was going to end worse. Yeah, that's true. It never starts bad and ends good. All right. This call, it's up to this call to redeem everything. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Don't be hideously stupid. I promise. Sir. Okay. Go I, ahead. I, I would love to try and redeem uh, your listening audience uh, by giving Richie some advice and anybody else listening looking for the only place you should be going to find a uh, good cologne or perfume, and this is the the Perfume House on Hawthorne. That is the name of it. The now, is this a, now are, hold on. Now, do you do you have consideration? In other words, do you stand to benefit if he goes to this perfume store? I I I stand in no way to benefit. I've I've just a customer. My 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 family's been customers there. I they, don't really uh, think the issue is where he's shopping, though. The point is that he has no sense of but smell. But there are a lot more options well, at the but, but, but this uh, uh but this this is this isn't just a store where the guys are trying to pander the you know the most expensive uh, cologne to you. But uh, uh, you know there's an there's an elderly gentleman who's been doing this for like 40 years. He's worked with the great perfume houses in in Paris. And uh, he can explain to you how uh, different real perfumes, not America's uh, synthesized counterparts to Europe's real perfumes, but how real perfumes uh, uh, work with, you know, differently with... What is with, the difference between a real person. perfume? <laughs> Tim, is, Tim is so unbelievably bored with this. No, but I have to ask this question. What uh -huh. is the difference between a so-called real perfume and a fake perfume? Well, real perfumes are. Please actually Please tell me made... you're not squeezing pomegranates into a jar. No, 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 no. But, 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 but they're actually made from, from you know, rare essential oils instead of synthesized on a lab. What is an essential like, oil? Um, you know, I think you're going to have to ask this guy about it. I, I, I don't know the uh, uh, Webster's definition for it. I think but, essential but oil actual... is. A, I think essential oil is a fabricated term. I think that is a term no. that is being created by marketers. It's like. Uh, How can an oil about... be essential? Think about think about uh, think about uh, uh, olive oil compared to uh, Wesson. You know, 
I mean, yeah. right. it's it's real deal. But but but, but anyway, this, this 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 guy can steer you in the right uh, right direction. Anybody who's looking for a real experience, it's just an interesting experience because he knows the history of all, right. all these perfumes and everything. Thank, so, all right, thank you, sir. Sorry to be thank so you. boring. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Oh, you I go. still live right next door to that place. It smells That's really good. What's that? No. <laughs> what was that, Jim? Oh, nothing. <laughs> you want to share a comment with <laughs> no, uh, with I, the audience? I just heard Tim mutter something bitterly off mic. I'm sorry, sorry. Why you you've gone to that place? Yeah, you still live right next door to it. All right. Well, fair enough. Well, we'll get somebody to take him there. Here's Tim Riley. No, oh, I can't wait to go myself. Maybe we should. Um, if he has a crush on a girl, maybe we should have the girl like that. Um, the girl with the good voice that came in. Uh huh. Maybe she can take him. Yeah, because that won't be awkward. Him. She can tell him what she likes. Yeah. Make sure you don't bathe beforehand. He's tapping the screen. No, no. All right. Fantastic. We'll set it up. Here's Tim Riley. Strong winds blew down a power line in southeast early this morning, blacking out power to 8,000 people as the workday dawned, like these people are going to work in southeast. This is a southeast 11th and southeast dark. The customers from southeast 7th to southeast 42nd, and between these Burnside and Belmont were affected. Let's be honest. Most of the people who are going to work on Stark are going to work in, in a flop house filled with candles. That's really, that's really what's going on there. Well, that swing. As long as the match and the spoon still work, that's the only job you really need to get done on Stark Street. A bicyclist going the wrong way to busy road in Milwaukee was struck by a car last night. Yeah. This happened at the intersection of McLaughlin and River Road. The cyclist was pedaling, pedaling, pedaling along the shoulder of McLaughlin Road when he hit the car head on. Oh. He's in stable condition. Going the wrong way on the road? Yeah. Probably no light. Probably. Jesus. Well, you've heard of Girl Scout cookies. How about a recall of Girl Scout cashews? The Santa M Council of Girl Scouts in the Willamette Valley say some cans of cashews sold at Oregon have been recalled. Uh, this started with a small number of reports of pieces of metal stuck in their nuts. <laughs> was, that, was, that, was that by design just now? What's that? Were you just reading that off the page? I was. Fantastic. Huh? I hate it. So the Girl Scouts, who had what? Stuck in what? Well, they're selling uh, nuts with pieces of metal stuck in them. So there's pieces of metal stuck in their nuts. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is that is unfortunate. So these uh, these cashews were sold by the Girl Scouts in Lynn, Bentham, Lincoln, Marion, Polk, and Yamhill counties. You can okay. get your nuts replaced if you want by calling a toll-free number. <laughs> if, if, if they have pieces of metal stuck in them, you yes. can get some new nuts. Uh-huh. That's wonderful. So, all right, well, I... I don't even, I don't ever understand how these things happen. It's like when you hear those stories about, well, I had a can of soda. There was a, there was, what was it Sorry, Storm told us where she got a milkshake and there was a mouse or something at the bottom of it? <laughs> I just don't understand how these things... The banana shake, it's a promo, it's gross. I mean, Ugh. how is it that you're... you're what is this? Well, we're making, a, we're making applets and cutlets. Well what, well, what is the problem? Well, there seems to be small pieces of glass and many, many cockroaches in them. I, I don't know. You'd think that they would just... Is it, too much to just pay somebody like $8 an hour to sit there and watch the nuts go by to see if they're big shards of, you know, shrapnel. They used to do that, but that's been automated. Well, they, ever since Clear Channel bought the nut company. They moved the nuts to China, I guess. <laughs> you don't? Yeah. Uh, no, these are Wisconsin nuts. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey. Yeah, just think about Richie. Uh, let's get this straight. He's talking to Jerome Kersey, the, the, the famous basketball player here in Portland. Yes. You know, hey, what's up? And all, he's talking to him and all this. And... and and then Jerome this says, is the artist's oh rendering God. of the conversation. Yeah, you stink, buddy. I don't think so. And, I and think then he, he finds out later that the, that his cat's peed on the T-shirt. Yeah. 
Now, what I don't understand is what is Cologne going to do to help that? No, nothing. That's why we were pointing it's out. It's going to make it worse. This is why we were pointing out that what that Richie's practice of, of apparently at random mixing several colognes together. And that's, I don't mean to laugh at Richie's condition. Really, I don't. It, it, this would be funny no matter who was doing it. The idea that you have three different bottles of cologne that are all a third full, and so you just merge them all into one oh, sort of full no. bottle of super cologne, that is really fantastic and ill-advised. No, no, all, all he needs to do is go out and spend a couple of bucks on some men and speed stick, and that's it. Or, yeah, all right, or get rid of your cat. All right, thank you. Here's Tim Riley. I had a letter here somewhere, but I lost it. I'll get back to it later. A letter to you? Was it an email? It was. Was it uh, provocative and compelling? Uh, no, it was a request. Okay. Tell him we'll try to get it on. I have it right here. All right. Dear Tim, I haven't heard any more Snowball the Deer stories in the past week. I'm going to get some coffee. Uh, my wife and I love your input on the Rick Emerson show. We... Mm-hmm. Uh, you are the best newsman ever. Your tragic stories brighten our day. But please, <laughs> more stories about Snowflake the Deer. Okay. Well, we're happy to oblige. Snowball, Tim. Snowball. Snowball. All right. Well, the fight over Snowball the Deer is heading back to court. State officials have until today <laughs> to return the deer to the family that raised it in Rick, captivity. Following a previous legal decision. And, and some cologne, please. But they have not yet done so. Uh-huh. Now a judge could decide whether to hold the state in contempt of court and fine it for not returning Snowball to the Malala family. So far, the state has spent more than $39,000 fighting with the family to return Snowball. And there you go for longtime listeners Phil and Kath, the Brits. Huh? Oh, it's done. Okay, what? The, uh, the, the Snowball story. No, excellent. It's 503-733-2970. Right? No, I'm sure that that's the case. It's 503-733-2970. Here is Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. Well, a judge is expected to announce whether or not O.J. Simpson will face trial for the alleged armed robbery oh. at 4 o'clock our time this afternoon. So it'll be right after we get off the air. Oh, darn it. damn it. All right. Yeah, but you'll be here doing news live. Oh, that's true, won't I? <laughs> well, we'll talk to Jim Roop at uh, about 40 minutes. We're going to talk to Jim Roop, who is in Las Vegas. Well, because A... They're going to be doing the debate there. Mm. So Lisa Desjardins is there as well. So she, I think, is getting in this morning. Damn it, I had a great idea last night that I completely forgot to call you guys about. I had this great idea, and I was going to uh, call or text you guys. Be like, this is what we have to do today. Remind me. Well, I guess I can say this on the air, because Jim isn't on the phone yet. So Jim is in Las Vegas. Lisa Desjardins from CNN is also in Las Vegas today, and I think they're both there through tomorrow, and I think Jim is there, uh, I think, through the end of the week. Here's here's what I'm saying now. Now, this would require us talking to CNN, and by us, I mean Sarah, talking to CNN. We ought to find out where, and I don't mean for this to sound creepy, we got to find out where Lisa and Jim are staying, and then we have, like, something that we have, like, a drink delivered to them. Maybe they'll stay at the Il How Cortez. great would that be if we could if we could Yeah, I'm that sure... Up? I... I'm sure Laura can be, they'll be very happy. And I'm like, hey, we want to send them drinks. I mean, well, we, wouldn't say, we wouldn't say that, though. We'd say we want to send flowers? them flowers, a card, or something. What, how great would that be, though? Can you, you, you know that they would totally be into that. And we got to listen. You know, uh, Lo lives in Vegas. Oh, I mean, he lived there. That's the thing is we wouldn't even have to have oh. it sent by, like, a courier. Like, we could probably talk to Lo and just say, hey, do, 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 can you know, help us out. And then if we can find out where Jim and Lena, I'm not saying he like, has to go through, you know, knock on Jim or Lisa's door or something at 2 in the morning. No, look, but at the El Cortez. The, the El Cortez is fantastic. Don't you knock the El Cortez? I've driven by it on numerous occasions. I love the El Cortez, although someone told me that it is closed. Do you know if it's no. closed? It was I, the last I, time I was there. Uh, did you ever watch the FX series Lucky? No. you got to watch that. It only ran for one season, and then like everything good, it was taken away from us. 
but it starred John Corbett, who was on Northern Exposure, and uh, some other guys who went out. It, 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 it has a guy who's now on The Office. Um, Lucky was a great show, and it was about John Corbett. He played a professional gambler, former World Series of Poker champion, who was trying to stay clean. He was trying not to gamble. And it was a story about him living in Vegas. His friends are all sort of hustlers. His girlfriend is like a barmaid or like a cocktail waitress or something. And he lives in Vegas. He's a creature, you know, a nighttime kind of guy. He lives in Vegas, and he's trying to live an upright lifestyle while living in Vegas and, you know, and, of course, he is by trade a poker player, but he's trying not to do it. And all of his friends, of course, are just sleazy cretins. And he's trying to, like, not be sucked back into that world. And it's, it's hilarious. It's a fantastic show. It's still open, according to this website. For and, the moment you arrive at El Cortez, you know you made the right choice. Uh-huh. Traditional friendliness. You will know that you are on the way down in this life. And, uh, you know, Wayne from uh, Texas loved it very much, according to a customer. You know, Rick from Portland loves it very much. Uh, lots of the lucky took place. Not all the time, but many, many scenes in Lucky took place at the El Cortez because the El Cortez has that really great, beat-down, threadbare look. And I mean this in the, in the best way possible. It really is it, – it's like – it's a casino that feels like a pawn shop or maybe a casino that feels like a like a Denny's maybe that hasn't been remodeled. And advertises in restaurants. Is this, is this somebody's kidney that's been removed while they were sleeping? Uh, oh, that – and this makes it look so much nicer – than it really is. Yeah. It does not look nearly that nice. The last time I stayed at the El Cortez, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, probably four years ago, it was painted this... It had been painted pink, but then, like, the paint had never been maintained. And so the pink paint had just started to flake away, and so it was dirty and flaky, and the stucco was falling off. I, I used to have a keychain. There was a $1 chip with, like, Mr. Cortez, like, whatever his name was, the guy who'd founded it, who looked just like Uncle Junior from The Sopranos. The great thing about the El Cortez is you go there... And they, they don't even try to keep up the appearances. I mean, the, the carpet is so worn, you can see the concrete right, in certain circus, places. Circus. There, yeah, the, um, but, it's, but it's like so far below Circus Circus. Oh, um, Circus Circus is pretty bad. Circus Circus is bad, but in a really... The, the thing that makes Circus Circus so bad is that they go no, out of the way kids. and that they try to make it seem polished and new and upscale and exciting, and really it's just trashy. And don't get me wrong, I love Vegas. I mean, it looks like a Stalin area housing project. <laughs> Where is toilet paper line? Uh, right, oh, next to, right next to a shrimp cocktail. They'll send the shuttle to the airport to pick you up, the old quartet. Not really. And by shuttle, they mean a guy named Hector who will who will come pick you up. And, uh, you know, as he's on his way to like Sightseeing at the Valley of Fire. <laughs> Please take me to the Valley of Fire. I think that's what Lindsay Lohan has. Um, but the, um, the, the El Cortez, you will sit down at the craps table. And it, I'd stay in Old Vegas anyway, and I've thought about this. I, I, I almost never stay on the Strip because it's just, I mean, I'll go and I'll visit the Strip. I'll walk, I'll take a cab or something, and the Strip is great to walk around in. You see it, you watch the ship blow up the other thing at Treasure Island, and you see the uh, the, the volcano outside. we got to go to Vegas. We all have to go to Vegas at some point. I've just made that decision. Oh, yeah. I go to Vegas myself. Oh, man, but I'm saying we all got to do that. we got to do the show from Vegas one of these days. I don't know how we'd even set that up. I'll look that into it. That would be fun. Well, they have to have a seat. Oh, they have a room for rent tonight. Yeah, the El Cortez. Yeah, $52. Um, it, you know, you go to the Mirage and you see the volcano and you, you know, whatever. You know, they go to the, you know, the, 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 I think it's the Rio and you see Penn and Teller. But then I go back to Old Vegas to stay and to gamble. Um, and even by Old Vegas standards, the El Cortez is so beat down. You will sit at the craps table and there are just like cigarette burns all over it, drink stains. 
Um, but the great thing about it is you can play you can play uh, like craps or or blackjack for a dollar. You can play dollar hands of blackjack at the El Cortez, and then you get the great cocktail waitresses who come by, and you can tell that they thirty years ago, you know, worked at the Sands. Twenty years ago, they worked at the MGM. Ten years ago, they worked at Circus Circus. Now they're at the El Cortez, and they're kind of hot, but sort of like flow from Alice hot. You know, it's just. Yeah, it's a popping gum. It is popping gum, beehive hairdo with a comb stuck in it. Ah. Really um, well endowed, but the low cut shirt showing you years of too much sun and tanning and cigarette smoking and everything. I oh, mean, you can get a smoking room, which is called a Pavilion Queen for thirty seven dollars, oh, really? and there's one available tonight. A Pavilion Queen. Yeah. And it's a smoking room, too. That's like that Easy Cheese. They sell Easy Cheese, and then they sell the deluxe Easy Cheese that's slightly larger and has bacon flavor. They also have beautifully decorated smoking rooms uh, that include uh, love seat chairs and a coffee table. Uh, I got to go there, man. I dig that place. And it's right down the street. And here's the great thing about it. 37 bucks for a room. You have to move on from this, because otherwise I will talk about Las Vegas all day. The, the final great thing about the El Cortez... And admittedly, I have a different standard for great. I have a friend of mine who goes to Vegas, and the only place he will stay is the Luxor. That's it, because he's really into the strip and the new and the big and the bright and the whatever. I have, and I think a lot of us have, um, I have an affinity for the, the sort of underbelly. You know what I mean? It, 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 I, and I don't know where that comes from. You know, Joni's the same way. You know, she never met a story set in a trailer park that she doesn't like, you know. I have an affinity for things that are sort of... On the on the fringe, you know, and that are sort of, uh, you know, the, 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 sort of the the not underground. That's not the right word, but just just the, the sort of out on the periphery. You go even to old Vegas, and there's like Binion's, Four Queens, uh, Sunset Station, Fitzgerald's, and then the El Cortez, which is so far down the street. It's like even the other beat down casinos don't want anything to do with it. And the El Cortez is one casino surrounded by about seven different pawn shops, all with huge bars on the windows, which should tell you something because there's 24-hour cops and security in Vegas. But the neighborhood is actually so bad that they put bars on the windows and the owner carries gun right in the, right in the window. It is, uh, it's, yeah, it's a place of beauty. It really is. All right, 37 bucks for lovely uh, queen smoking room. That's it. I'm going to talk to my wife. She and I are going to Vegas sometime soon. We'll try. I got, we got to set something up for this program. We have to go there. All right. We've been to Renton. <laughs> that is, that's true. I've stayed at the Silver Cloud Inn in Renton. The only place left is the Oak Cortez. Oh, we've never gone anywhere at the show. No. No, we've always been fired as we're yeah. planning those things. We've yeah. been sent home for months. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only place we've gone. Where are you doing the show? From the unemployment office? All right. Uh... Somebody said, according to the locals, it's known as the El Cortisone. <laughs> Genius. Here's Tim Riley. So uh, a sports collector says uh, O.J.'s posse brought guns to a meeting at a Vegas hotel. Alfred Beardsley, one of the dealers who Beardsley. Agreed, Beardsley, who agreed to sell Simpson's memorabilia, testified that at least two men who came with Simpson brought weapons and searched him. The gentleman approached me with a gun, asked me to um, stand up. He, he frisked uh, around my waistband and my legs. Simpson's cohorts searched the entire room. They disenabled the phone line, and they uh, searched the uh, room. They searched behind the uh, nightstands and behind the bedboard. And... 
Uh, Simpson's attorney questioned why Beardsley told 911 only about Simpson robbing them and not about the other men allegedly involved. We were just robbed by a bunch of thugs and my adrenaline was pumping. And your client was foolish enough is, to allow it to happen. Is the tape where you say, listen, we're going to make a lot of money off of this? Is that an inaccurate statement? Not inaccurate because he's a high-profile person. People have been waiting for him to screw up and he screwed up. You know, I, can I just can I admit something right now? Sure. We've had Rubon to talk about this story because he's in Vegas where this is happening like nine different times. I still really don't understand what they're arguing about. I mean, I really don't. I'm not saying they're guilty. They, it's only alleged at this point, and a jury will decide how guilty they are. Yes. From in my opinion, which is protected by the First Amendment, clearly they're unbelievably guilty. But um, I, I don't understand. I mean, I guess that what, what is the defense? What possible defense could they be putting up? What is the defense saying? They weren't there? Well, they were there. If it's on film, they didn't have guns? They did have guns. They weren't stealing things? They were stealing things. It wasn't OJ's idea? It was OJ. These are all facts that are uncontested. I'm unclear about what the defense, what sort of like Potemkin rebuttal they could possibly be putting up to this. It's just mystifying to me. So, all right. Uh, but we should take a break. What say ye? Sure. All Maybe right. the El Cortez would like to sponsor this place. Oh, man. I love that place. Sarah, have you ever been to the El Cortez? I don't think so. It's wonderful. It's like the My Father's Place of casinos. All right. Um, say hmm. so We'll take a break here. Back after this, it is the Rick Emerson radio program. You stay there. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Don't go anywhere. Here's Jack Clapper. And if you want the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. I just have to read this real quickly. Um, Rick, sometimes I turn on Fox News in the background to keep up with the list of missing white girls. Last night I was watching this red-eye show on the Fox News channel. While talking about sex, it says sex additions. I don't know what that means. Sex additions. Huh. Well, whatever. While talking about sex editions, RuPaul, who was a guest, actually said the entire domain name of your video that can never be mentioned or described on the air. So that fantastic. Go RuPaul. So that so that that video, which I think is still up. Let me check right now. Um, let me look to see if it's still there. It may have been knocked. We've been posting a lot of stuff lately. Um, no, it's gone. I don't think it's it's not there anymore. No, it is gone. Uh, but the video that can never be described, the worst video in the history of all humankind, which was on our website, was actually so vile, so wrong, so hideous, that we would never even describe it or give the domain name out. We just told people, like, look, go to the website, look at all the warnings, and then click on it. Apparently, RuPaul said the entire domain name on the air on Fox News last night. So that awesome. is genius. I said, I know how much you love RuPaul. I'm sure this is exciting news for you. Yes, it is, sir. All right, here's Tim Riley. Now, did you hear about these uh, crazy high school kids over at Reynolds High? No. I think that's the, the high school all the kids are dropping out. Uh, well, two of those students were arrested for bringing a rifle onto school property with plans to threaten a specific group of students. One of the teens admitted to bring the gun to school last Thursday and said he and a friend intended to scare or even shoot some other students they believe were covering up their gang graffiti. That's the kind of school this is, apparently. 
Uh, the students who were arrested, a freshman and a junior, now face charges. Uh, an employee of El Tepidio restaurant in Trotdale told police they found a rifle in the bag containing a school notebook. It was stashed behind a dumpster. The rifle was a 22 caliber Browning. It was disassembled. The notebook belonged to a Reynolds High School student who had his name in the book, so they were able to trace him quickly. Excellent. The two students had uh, skipped out of school, took the rifle to a nearby park. They were planning to use it to threaten other groups of teens, but the others never showed up, so they instead fired several rounds into the woods. (laughs) Let's just amuse ourselves. Afterwards, they uh, uh, stashed the rifle after they went out to El Tapito, probably to have a couple of tacos, behind the dumpster. Oh, while they ate, they did this. Uh, and uh, they were picked up by Reynolds High School uh, student management employees who took them back to school, forced them to leave the rifle and the notebook. Yes, when you yes, when you leave the rifle behind that you have illegally at the school, make sure to put something right next to it that has your full name on it. That's mm-hmm. especially genius. Well That's done. very helpful. Idiots. So, those Jesus. are those idiots. Yeah. Reynolds High School. Seriously. They, is that the school that was called the Dropout Factory? I believe so, yes. No, but and these the, the ironic thing is these kids who were clearly mind-bogglingly stupid mm-hmm. weren't dropouts. They were actually still enrolled there. Thank goodness they didn't make it to the max. No. That, that would have been their next <laughs> That was their next destination, their next stop. Well, that Someday when we move up in the world, we may go down to 82nd Street. <laughs> One can dream. Uh, a load of boys has escaped a drug treatment center. Oregon State Police in Roseburg tracked down a van loaded with juvenile boys who escaped from a drug treatment center in Medford. They escaped early yesterday morning. An all-points bulletin was issued for the Fort Aerostar van stolen from the on-track drug rehabilitation center. It was spotted uh, northbound on I-5 at 1.30 in the morning. Uh, all five were reported as runaways. One of the boys told the trooper they were heading to Portland to party. Well, they almost made it. They got as far as Roseburg. Uh, the IRS is looking for over 1,500 Oregonians who are due refund checks, whose checks were returned undeliverable. This sounds like some kind of a plot to trap people. Refund checks, uh, these average $700. They can be claimed as soon as you update your address with the IRS. That is totally uh, uh, my, my theory. I was just going to say, that sounds like... What was what that thing they did with the, 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 uh, the Ozzy Osbourne Rob Zombie thing? Oh, yeah. Last week, two weeks ago, with him. They set up they they all the, these are the deadbeats or people who were one had outstanding warrants or something, mm-hmm. uh, and just by dint of being a criminal, you're almost certainly not too bright. And so they send all these people. Uh, you have been randomly selected for no reason to come meet Ozzy Osbourne. Come on down. Uh, and then of course they show up, and then there's, there's, there's the man waiting there with the taser and the handcuffs and sticks him in the back of a paddy wagon, which by the way is I believe a gambit taken out of the movie Sea of Love oh. with Al Pacino. And I'm pretty sure that's what I think it's Sea of Love that I'm thinking of with Al Pacino, where he uh, they set up like a fake, uh, like a fake sting. It was like a sting operation with like a fake chance to meet a baseball star, like meet so and so from the Yankees, and you know, and they send out invitations to all these guys who are thugs, and then the thugs show up, and then they're arrested. So there you go, criminals, not too bright. Here's Tim Riley. Remember that? Uh, did Sarah Silen just raise her hand? No, she found something we've been looking for. Oh. I Sorry, it took a while, so I'm looking for... And then we found Richie Bristol's sounder, which we will unveil the next time we need to summon him to the studio. Remember that Paris Hilton story you read you that she wanted to help drink monkeys yesterday? No, I don't think it was monkeys. It was an elephant. Oh, it was elephants. I'm sorry. I got monkeys on the brain. No one wants to help drunken monkeys because they're the funniest type. That's true. All right. Well, the ones here in Oregon are sober, obviously. They wouldn't be able to clone them, as they have. Well, yesterday we told you a story about uh, Paris Hilton who wanted to go and uh, save some drunken elephants in India. It turns out the studio, the story was a fake. But we went along with it because, well, we read whatever's put in front of us. <laughs> we mindlessly recite all kinds of right. pap from the mainstream press. Absolutely. So it's not our fault. We just read what we're given. Don't blame us. Now, let me ask you this. 
I'm finishing up a cup of coffee here. If it sounds like I got a cup of coffee, it sounds like I got a thing going on. Um, now, do we think that the story is actually fake, or do we think that Paris is? Do, do we think that Paris, who herself is pretty astonishingly dense, mm-hmm. do we think that she actually said this in some weird drunken moment, and it yeah. got repeated, and now the now her PR people are scrambling trying to cover up the evidence of just how colossally stupid she really is? I agree with that. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I think that she really said it. It got put out. The AP reported it. And then somebody from the from the Hilton camp noticed how dumb it made her look and thought that the last thing they needed was some other retarded story by Paris Hilton in the news. And so now they've got a flack issuing a strong denial, which the AP just is mindlessly passing along. So the AP mindlessly passed along the story, and now they are mindlessly printing the retraction about a story that was probably true to begin with. Because it does sound like the sort of dense thing that Paris Hilton would say. Because she wouldn't, wouldn't she say something the other day about going to... Uh, She's had three different things. First, she wanted to help children. Then she wanted to go to Rwanda. Yeah. Now she wants to help elephants with something. And now none of those things are apparently true. No. So, all right. That's that. Uh, then we have uh, New York Governor Elliot Spitzer, who has officially abandoned his plan to give driver's license to illegal aliens. Spitzer. I barely knew her. Now, he proposed this about two months ago. At a press conference in Washington, D.C., safely away from New York this morning, he said he thought about his decision carefully. After serious deliberation and consultation with people I respect on all sides of this issue, I have concluded that New York State cannot successfully address this problem on its own. After hearing, I am a- announcing today that I am withdrawing my proposal. They're hearing from my representatives and uh, handlers that I will be run out of town on a rail if I move forward with this. That's why he's in D.C. doing this. Yes. Uh, Spitzer says illegal immigration hurts state and local government. When the federal government abdicates its responsibilities, states, cities, towns, and villages still have to deal with the practical reality of that failure. And we face that reality every day in our schools, in our hospitals, and on our roads. What did that mean? (laughs) Is he talking about the same story? I don't don't really know. Clinton answer. I think it's where he reaches into a bag of all-purpose crap that I can spit out in front of a microphone. Uh, The governor has just learned that there is opposition to his proposal. Piecemeal reform, even if practical, is unacceptable. It fails to address the many important competing interests and values. I underestimated that sentiment in putting forward this proposal. None of these things make any sense. I have no idea what he's talking about. It is very telling. He's not doing it anywhere near the the district he actually represents. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Sir, madam, as the case may be. Uh, Is this the party to whom I'm speaking? Yes, hello. Hello. Hey, um, that thing about luring the thugs? Yeah. Simpsons did that. Yeah, but before The Simpsons did that, I believe it was in the Al Pacino film Sea of Love. Fantastic. Uh, with, uh, you don't really care. You just, you just wanted to make your Simpsons observation. I'm now trying to backdate the etymology of this. You've moved on mentally in your head. You're no longer listening to me. Excellent. <laughs> that guy, are you Elliot Spitzer, sir? Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Bye now. That's... I should have asked where the Simpsons did it, but I was so taken with the fact that the guy clearly didn't care about my response. He said something, and I said, well, yes, but let me expand on that. And in his head, he was done. He was out. All right. Well done. Here's Tim Riley. This is Winter Hazard Awareness Week. Uh, Catherine Chapin of the Minnesota Department of Public Safety says, be careful when you're cooking. People always say, I just walked away for a minute, but that grease catches on fire, and then you've got a kitchen fire that's out of control. You know what she sounds like? She sounds like the creepy lady in that commercial that goes, I owe my life to you. She sounds like the lady from the Jiggles commercial. She sounds like a sexier Diana from downtown. That's funny. We all looked at that. That was like an aural Rorschach right there. That was an audio Rorschach card, and we all we all got three different things. Play it again. Play it again, Tim. Okay, here she is. 
People always say, I just walked away for a minute, but that grease catches on fire, and then you've got a kitchen fire that's out of control. All right. Well, there you go. So it's either Diana or it's... Well, Diana's sexy, but it sounds like more like like sound, trying kind of to sound husky. sultrier. Yeah, sort of a thing. No, you, she does kind of sound like the, uh, would you care for a complimentary table dance or whatever. Yeah. Right. We're open till 3 a.m. Here's, here's Tim Riley. Uh, Christian Chapin of the Minnesota Department of Public Safety says keep an eye on your guests. A huge number of fire fatalities take place because a cigarette was smoldering somewhere when somebody went to bed or somebody became inebriated and dropped a cigarette on some kind of combustible material. We want to be extremely careful and keep an eye on things during those holiday celebrations. I think this woman herself is extremely combustible and uh, smoldering. That's just a guess. She does sound that way, though. All right. Hey, we never did that thing where we brought that Penelope girl back to read a bedtime story. That seemed like a really great idea at the time. Is it still a great idea, or am I, I just sort so. of especially for Christmas? It. How about if she does the night before Christmas? <laughs> That's a great idea, Tim Riley. I like the way you think. Mm-hmm. Note to self. And then she can take Richie shopping for cologne. Mm-hmm. We can accomplish it all in one day. Richie's typing on the screen that that's a fantastic idea, and he is all for that. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm that. sure he is. Duly noted, Richie. Thank you for pointing out that you are a strong proponent of said idea. Yes. Hi, here's Tim Riley. Well, the lawsuits uh, against the banquet pot pies are continuing to grow. This is after people were contaminated with salmonella. Uh, the latest case is the, that of a Pasco, Washington man. Pasco. John yeah. Doty developed a fever and began experiencing symptoms of salmonella poisoning, including bloody diarrhea. Oh. We have been contacted by over 100 people. Um, we're in the process of, you know, reviewing all of those files. Um, so far, there are about 40 that we are confident are confirmed part Jesus. of the outbreak. That's a terrible thing. Attorney Marla Clark says... <laughs> Banquet chicken pies are guilty of sin. It is a culture-positive, uh, salmonella culture-positive match to the outbreak strain. So there's no question that he, he is part of the nearly 200 people sickened by ConAgra's banquet pot pie. So this lawyer has courted the market on pot pies lawsuits. Uh, and he's in Pasco, and now Pasco is the Gresham to Kennewick's Portland, by the way. Pasco is uh, right next door to Kennewick. Pasco's one of the big three, isn't it? Yes, it is the big three. Thank you. It's, it's a terrible, it's the worst of the big three, by the way. Of the three Tri-Cities, Pasco is far and away the sleaziest and skeeziest. And he was suffering from what, Tim Riley? Bloody diarrhea. There you go. That's the phrase of the day. <laughs> Jesus. Clearly, he's got to be uh, fenced in somewhere. That's no banquet for anyone. No, it's, no, it's not. Here's, uh, here's Tim Riley. An Illinois police officer suspected in the disappearance of his fourth wife uh, pleaded for his wife to come home. Even as he maintained, uh, he left her, oh, she left him for another man. Come home, tell people where you are, my darling, uh, pled uh, Drew Pearson on NBC's Today program. Stacy Peterson was the last seen October 28th. Anybody? Stacy Peterson, really? Yeah. I think anything that rhymes with A.C. Peterson is going to end up badly. Mm-hmm. That seems like that uh, the precedent has been set there. Uh, the case of a potential homicide investigation, and they've identified her husband, 53-year-old police sergeant in the Chicago suburb, as a suspect. Peterson denied he harmed his 23-year-old wife. How old is he? Oh, he's uh, 40-something. A 23-year-old wife and had anything to do with her disappearance. She found somebody else. That's what he said. He also says he has no plans to search for her because uh, <laughs> she left him willingly. Uh, he also said he is a media sensation that would attract attention and could harm the search effort. Why would I look for someone who I don't believe is missing? She's just gone. She's where she wants to be. You can hang out with OJ and look for the real killers. The interview aired a day after the body of Pearson's third wife, Kathleen, was exhumed in Illinois. 
Savio was found in a bathtub, her hair soaked with blood, with a head wound. A coroner's jury ruled the 40-year-old's death was an accidental drowning, but there was no water in the bathtub. The water could have been drained out. Sounds reasonable. Mm -hmm. Somebody else uh, uh, killed the woman to make it look like an accident. Now, Peterson acknowledged that there were mysterious circumstances surrounding the woman's death, but he didn't know what, if anything, that uh, digging up her body would accomplish. It's a shame. Uh, Let her rest in peace. Peterson described his relationship with both women as troubled. Tempestuous. Saying saying it was they who came from troubled homes and struggled with depression. He denied any involvement in the case. I can look you right in the eye and say I had nothing to do with these murders. Uh, Incidents. Did you see... Sorry. Did you see this thing about the guy who died in the cat door? Oh, yeah, I have that somewhere here. No, I've got it right here. I'm just going to read this really briefly. We have so much news to get to today. It is true. This is from, let's see, where is this from? St. John's County, Florida. In your face, Sarah Dillon. So it's not only in Florida, it's in a place called St. John's County, Florida. (laughs) A St. John's County deputy recently launched an investigation into what they call the strangest accident they've ever seen. A man was found dead after getting stuck in a cat door. Investigators say 32-year-old Charles Tucker Jr. was using... This is totally karma. This is the fiery fist of karma coming down and just crushing you right where you stand. Using the cat door early Saturday morning as a way to get into his girlfriend's home after the woman kicked him out. Deputy said several hours after the girlfriend told him to leave, she found him stuck in the cat door. Um, He was dead. He's a big guy, she said. I don't even know. This is so great. He's a big... Well, apparently the guy was just a dick, though, so it looks like he had it coming. He's a big guy. I don't even know how he could fit through there. Probably trying to get in and unlock the door. He had one arm through, and his head was caught in there like he was trying to reach up and unlock the door, because there's no way he could fit himself through the cat door. Um, So apparently, uh, when they showed up, he was already dead. Uh, Officers said when they found Tucker in the cat door, it was not the first encounter they'd had with him that weekend. Earlier, they found him slumped over the wheel of his car, and he was taken to Flagler Hospital, but later released. That is wonderful. So there you go. That's a little bit of the universe taking out its own trash. Let me also read this here on KCMD Portland. This is about the baby Ricky photograph, which is on the uh, website. You go to rickemerson.com and see that. It's adorable. By the way, I figured out what is so um, compelling about that. Let's say. I, by the way, if you go to rickemerson.com, you will see the baby Ricky. Uh, I think it's the second post down. The first one, I think, is a screen capture from Final Destination, but it's great. Somebody put it up. It's a pic. I'll just, I won't ruin it for you. I'll just say if you share our fear of logging truck disasters, I encourage oh. you to go. I encourage you to go to rickemerson.com and look at the picture that's up. But the one beneath that. Is oh the, my God. That's what I'm saying. Look at that. Let's wait for Tim to watch it too. What is it? Go to rickemerson.com, Tim. Look at the photo that is today's blog entry. Let me see if I can find that. It's right. uh, for everybody who shares our uh, love. Yeah. Oh, my God. How is that possible? Yeah. Oh, it's possible. Where did you get that? Well, a uh, guy sent it to me. The caption was something like, this will make you soil, soil yourself. So I mean, Oh, I've got to stop looking at it. It's bad for the soul. Oh, yeah. Is. Isn't that great? No. So you look below that, and there's a photo of baby Ricky from yesterday. And I showed that to my wife, and she had exactly the same reaction, where she laughed and then tried to go and tried to suck the laughter back in. Um, here's I figured out what makes it so great. A, everybody shares the assessment that he is adorable and that we want to send him some sort of stuffed animal. B, Seamus pointed out that he bears astonishing an astonishing resemblance to the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters, which is also cute. And C, here's what makes it uh, kind of amusing. It looks, and the font is really what sells this, it looks as though 
it looks like one of those photographs you sometimes see on the Internet where somebody has taken an otherwise innocuous, if unfortunate, uh, photo of somebody and then put a taunting uh, caption on it. You know what I mean? Like we have... Um, it, it, well, I'll put it this way. Sarah has a photograph on her MySpace uh, page. You in your in your collection of pictures, you have or maybe it's for the show. There's a picture of a man and his wife and a baby all posed together for a family picture. And how do I put this? The baby looks nothing like the father. Let's put it that way. Oh, you know what I'm talking the about. The owned picture? Yeah. And yeah. It's, it, it, this is what this reminds me of. There's a Sarah has a picture on the MySpace page where it's a mom and a dad and the baby and they're all posing for a picture and the baby I will put this uh, just in the vaguest way possible. The baby looks nothing at all like the dad. And somebody has crudely scrawled on the photograph, owned, with an arrow pointing to the father. That's what this picture of baby Ricky looks like. The, where it says, you know, I have Down syndrome. It just looks like a photo of a baby that you would find on the net that then someone would would scrawl something cruel on and then post, like repost to a message board. Oh, okay. That, it looks think, like a pre-photo? I think that's why everybody sort of chuckles when they see it, because it looks like, you know, it's like, if, you know, you take a picture of your friend and you scroll like, I smell like ass on mm -hmm. it, and then stick it back online. That's what that looks like. So... Anyway, so there you go. Maybe he'll be our Christmas cause. Maybe Baby Ricky will be our Christmas charity. Rick, I'm sure you've already gotten tons of email about Baby Ricky's glorious presence in Portland because apparently that billboard is in Portland somewhere. I don't believe it, though. If it, was, if it was in Portland, somebody would have sent you a picture by now. I got three different emails from people who say that that Baby Ricky picture, which Randy in Minnesota took, a, he, took he photographed it and sent it to us, claiming that it's already in Portland. Um... He says, my girlfriend lives downtown, and the way her apartment... Uh, it must be downtown somewhere. He says, my girlfriend lives downtown, and the way her apartment is situated, whenever the blinds are open, baby Ricky stares directly into her apartment. <laughs> At first, I found it amusing in the weird way where you laugh and then try to take it back, but several weeks ago, uh, I started to get creeped out whenever I was there. I am very sympathetic to the plight of baby Ricky and his ilk, and I hate sounding like a dick, but seriously... It's like the eye of Sauron is staring into a studio apartment, and there's no escaping it. I can only hope that McRib comes back soon, and they put up a billboard for it in poor Ricky's place. Signed Clifford, the heartless baby hater. So there you go. <laughs> um, so apparently the baby Ricky billboard is somewhere in downtown Portland. So somebody will let us know about that. But okay. It is I great. need to see picture proof. It almost, like, if I could find out where baby Ricky lived, I would I would send him something for Christmas. Something big with no sharp edges. Uh, all right, well, we'll get the people are calling Rich Hill Screamy sort of. Here's uh, Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. Why don't we do a, a religious nutcase watch? Let's do a religious Ooh. nutcase watch for Wednesday on the Rick Emerson radio program. <laughs> President Richard Roberts, facing accusations he misspent university funds to support his lavish lifestyle, received a vote of no confidence by the faculty of his evangelical university in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's the home of God. By the way, it is very telling that he is apparently, this is so badly run that even the faculty who voluntarily work at Oral Roberts University have decided that it's too crazy to continue. 
Accusations of lavish spending were detailed in a wrongful termination lawsuit filed October 1st by three former ORU professors. The lawsuit includes allegations of a $39,000 shopping tab at one store for Richard Roberts' wife, Lindsay, a $29,411 uh, Bahama senior trip on the university jet for one of Roberts' daughters, and a stable of horses for the Roberts' children. Uh, Richard and Lindsay Roberts deny any, any wrongdoing. The lawsuit amounts to intimidation, blackmail, and extortion. So wait, Richard and Lindsay Roberts are who? Are they the the, 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 the Richard Roberts is the son of Oral Roberts. What kind of a name is Oral? I mean, really, yeah. what the, who names their child? Is that a generational thing? Like Phyllis? Maybe that's something his mother preferred. Elmer. As a uh, name. Uh, uh, over other names. <laughs> Make it an immaculate conception? I, so, I suppose so. I think we've pushed that about as far as we should. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that much. it, or do we have another No, match? I have a second part here. A religious father put safety pins through the tongues and lips of his two children and slit their mouths with scalpel blades. The father from Nigeria told the boys he inflicted the injuries because God had his tongue cut off in the Bible. I don't think that's true. Well, somebody's Bible might have said Even it. his Bible. What? <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Uh, apparently, this happened between 2003 and 2005. The boys were placed in foster homes. Uh, let's see. Uh, the father said uh, he spoke about God in the Bible having his tongue cut off, an explanation why he carried out the injuries. Uh, while interviewing both parents who have two other children, denied the boys suffered any serious injury. Of course. Well, there you go. There's your religious nutcase watch for Wednesday. It's 503-733-2970. We will continue with the Ministry of Truth in just moments. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome down to the Rick Emerson Show from Las Vegas. CNN Radio correspondent to the stars on location in Nevada, James Roop. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, sir. It looks like we're going to come to an end here. Uh, you just sound so immensely relieved about this. Yeah, it's very nice. <laughs> because then i got to get over and switch to debate mode, so... I'm sorry. You know what? If I, I tell you this right now, if we, if we if this was like a Star Trek thing, and I could just have some like a teleporter or a transmogrifier or whatever the hell they had, and I could just beam some whiskey to you, I would do that right now. <laughs> if I could that. actually just close my eyes and somehow mentally just project vodka right into your veins, uh, I would do that as of now. Okay. So oh no, no, I want to taste it. <laughs> you want to be able to savor every drop as it goes over your palate. Absolutely. Uh, well, okay. So where where are we with the OJ thing? It's wrapping up today. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, the judge says at four o'clock local time he'll make his decision whether he's going to kick this thing upstairs to Superior Court or everybody gets to go home. It was quite interesting the summations because once the prosecution rested its case, the judge then uh, took a break. He came back, asked the inter- the defense, "Okay, what about your your case?" Every defense lawyer for every defendant stood up and said, "We're not uh, we're not presenting evidence." At this hearing, to that end, uh, the judge then asked O.J. Simpson to stand up and say, you know, Mr. Simpson, uh, you're allowed to uh, present evidence on your behalf. You've talked to your attorneys. Do you agree with their strategy? He said, yes, I do. Very well. Sit down. Every other defendant, the same thing. So the judge says, great. Sum up. The uh, prosecution summed up. The the defense attorneys were great. I mean, calling all these witnesses, drug dealers, pimps, 
thieves, <laughs> you know, mentally unstable hearing voices, you know, saying they cannot be credible. Judge, you can't possibly tell me you're going to, to, to take any weight with any of this testimony, give any weight to any of this testimony, right. and send this to trial. Oh, it was just great. And then the prosecutor comes back and says, look, we didn't go out and get these witnesses. These are the people with whom O.J. Simpson associates. Right. You know, we have, we have no choice of who these people are, but they are who they are. And we know, Your Honor, you're going to listen to what they had to say, and you're going to take that, you're going to go back, and you're going to give us, you're going to pound all these uh, uh, defendants over for trial. So it'll be real interesting to see exactly what the judge does, because he may go, yeah, this is too weird, man. Let, <laughs> let a jury decide about it. So go ahead, trial. You know, let, let all these idiots deal with that themselves. Or he may just say, nah, that was no good. See you later. Uh, now, you are in Las Vegas, the home of wagering. So uh, as a betting man, James Rupert, as a journalist, uh, do you have a gut sense for how the judge is going to come down on this at all? i gotta, I got to tell you, the, it, it's pretty even the odds. What, what I think he's going to do is he's, I think he's going to say the kidnapping does not hold. I think he's going to say, you know, not all 12 felonies are going to stick around. I think he'll say there will be a trial on these counts at this level, maybe not all felonies. But I, I don't think he's going to dismiss everything altogether. I would be surprised if he did, but I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, I wouldn't be surprised if he did, but I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to hold some of it over. I think he may kick Ehrlich, Ehrlich loose. I think he may walk. Charles Ehrlich, mm -hmm. one of the other co-defendants, I think he may walk. He was just there, you know, just in the wrong place at the wrong time and, you know, got himself caught up in all the crap. Um, but I think the other guy, I think Stewart and Simpson, will wind up going to trial on some charges. Can you, I mean, I, I keep saying this, but I mean, can you imagine if O.J. Simpson is on trial for anything remotely approaching a serious offense uh, again in this country? I just, uh, there will be one of two reactions to this if O.J. ends up going to trial for a felony. There will be either A, no one will care at all because we will just decide it's too much to deal with and we'll just shut it out like a bad childhood memory. Or B, we will immediately crank ourselves up into, you know, into a frenzy over the prospect of OJ going to jail for something. Well, I got to tell you, the judge may look at this as, you know, what they're they're trying to entrap this guy, because, I mean, and, and what's the strangest thing about this is that the, all the witnesses for the prosecution are contradicting each other. And it's got to be driving the DA nuts. He's got to be going like, I can't believe this is the hand we're dealt, but he has to deal with it. So he may just, the judge may say, this was all a setup. But I was like, holy mackerel, you can't. You're nuts. You can't possibly, I mean, the, the judge, I, I, thank God he's got a ponytail. Because he's probably pulling some of that hair out right now. Um, here's a dumb question. If if he does decide that, as you said, this is going to kick it up and it's got to go to trial, it would be a jury trial, would it not? Yes, it would be. Because that, to me, and I, I hate, you know, I hate to say this, I call him as I see him, in America with, the the OJ issue, as I call it, uh, the evidence in a in a way you would think, and I know we're really hypothesizing here because who knows, but I mean if it goes to trial, you got to figure in some way the evidence almost doesn't matter because the the, the voir dire process or whatever the hell you call it with the jury and picking the people who sit on that jury, that's going to be the whole ball game right there because everybody in this country has a strong opinion about O.J. Simpson one way or the other. And yeah, I, and that's, that's why the jury process, that's why it's not going to take a week. It'll take a month to pick a jury because, you know, and, and in this day and age, it's impossible or irrational or not logical anymore to say we got to find people who don't know anything about this case. We have access to too much instant information. 
So to say someone has to not know anything about the case doesn't hold anymore. And to say that somebody doesn't have an opinion on O.J. Simpson doesn't hold. So you, what the judge is going to have to do, what the attorneys are going to have to do, is try and find people that can really sit down and separate all of that, listen to what's being presented at trial, and make a decision just on that. It's going to take a long time to find 12 people or 24, really, because you got to have or six or 18, because sure. you got to have six alternates to find 18 people that are going to actually be able to do that. So it's going to take a long time to pick a jury. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's going to be fascinating one way or the other. Um, just, just a little bit of business here. So you are, uh, so this is wrapping up today, and then the debate is tonight, is it not? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. And so how long? How long are you in Vegas? Till Friday. So you get to go home Friday morning, Friday night. Uh, Friday sometime during the day. Friday sometime. All right. It's funny. We were talking about you being in Vegas, and we got into this whole discussion of the El Cortez uh, Casino, which is there. And I, I don't know where they got you staying at, but the El Cortez is just like one of the best places on earth. And I how familiar you are, how familiar you are with it. Um, but it's just great and terrible and run down and threadbare and glorious. Uh, it's sort of like uh, it's like a pawn shop with a like a craps table in the middle of it. It's that run down. <laughs> But it's really, really wonderful. So, anyway. So, well, if I get a chance, I'll go by. Yeah, I just they, yeah, no, CNN's, I, re, CNN's renting me a room in the back of the bail bondsman's uh, establishment. So, I, sure. I haven't. Anything will be an improvement. I haven't been to the El Cortez in like four years, but it, when I was there, it was painted pink, but like no one had ever bothered to maintain the paint jobs. It was flaking and crumbling away, covered in dirt. The, the cocktail waitresses were all hot in about 1940, uh, but <laughs> not, not anymore. Uh, the craps table and the blackjack tables are covered in cigarette burns. You can see the concrete through the threadbare carpet. The drinks are only $1.50, but of course there's no actual alcohol in them of any kind because they're so watered down. It is both heaven and hell all at once in Vegas. Time. I love so, those kind of places, man. Great. I love those kind of places. If it's still there, you really ought to check it out. So, All right, my friend. Well, uh, bear up as best you can, and uh, I, Im I imagine we'll be talking to you tomorrow then about the, about the debate. Absolutely. All right, brother man. Thank you, right. sir. There you go. You bet. James Roop in Las Vegas, Nevada. How great is that guy? Especially when we had to bleep him for saying, for describing, I don't even know what he described now. I think he was talking about somebody assessing the prosecution's case as being, quote, BS, except mm -hmm. he didn't say BS. And the best part is he goes, well, it's a whole bunch of bolt blank. Bleep that, please. Anyway, and then he just, <laughs> just, com keeps on going. He just completely went on, man. He didn't even stop. He didn't even slow down. That's like the ninth time we've had to bleep him this month. Oh, yeah. I love that guy. All right. Uh, well, we'll continue with Tim Riley here in just a moment. Tim seems to have vanished. Uh, let's see. Rick, about Oral Roberts University, have you ever been to that place? No. Uh, he says, wow, my stepson was born there. I guess they got a hospital or something. Uh, and on a visit back to pick him up for a visit, we went to Oral Roberts University. Okay, yeah, all right. So he, was, he said they had these three-story tall praying hand statues out front, just the hands. I don't know they, what they did with the rest of the body. The creepy thing about Oral Roberts, of course, is Oral Roberts, everybody in my generation remembers this, he is the guy who swore that he saw a 900-foot Jesus in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is where MC 900-foot Jesus gets his name. Um, but he swears that he saw a, an, I saw a 900-foot Jesus in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that Jesus appeared to him and told him unless he raised like $12 million that God was going to kill him. And blah, blah, blah. Sorry, got a little thing there. Uh, let's see. Rick, please to be finding a listener saying they are attending Oral Roberts University so that you can reply, O-R-U. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, I don't have the wah-wah handy. Uh, Rick, this email says, Baby Ricky is in Portland. It is at 3rd and Oak. Really? That's actually just down the street from here, sort of. 
Third and O could be down the street from Powell's. Third and Oak apparently is where the baby Ricky billboard is. Third and Oak, where is that? Well, just south of Burnside? Uh, yeah, because like uh, Oak is right next to Burnside. Yeah, because it, 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 like um, like Rocco's Pizza straddles is between Burnside and Oak. So if you were to be on the, in other words, you know where Rocco's is, right? If you were to be on mm. the street, if you're on the street that you know that is a w- one street over from Burnside, just go down that, you'll hit Third, and that's Third and Oak. So yeah, all right. Um, let's see. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. A 54-year-old woman is recovering in the hospital after being hit by a freight train south of Marysville. That's in California. Uh, Deborah Thompson said after she drank a bottle of whiskey, she wandered over to the railroad tracks and <laughs> tried to wade down the train to stop. Wonderful. Well, it didn't. When asked why, she told the sheriff's deputy she was just being silly. <laughs> The train hit her and knocked her about 20 or 30 yards. She suffers uh, massive head injuries and a fractured thigh bone, but was conscious and talking to the uh, rescuers when they arrived. Oscar winner Matt Damon has been given another distinguished title. People magazine has named the 37-year-old actor its 2007 Sexiest Man Alive. When told of the honor, Damon replied, Matt Damon! You're giving an aging suburban dad the ego boost of a lifetime. People said it chose Damon to be this year's sexiest man alive because of his irresponsible sense of humor. Oh, irrepressible sense of humor. And for being a rock-solid family man. And for having heart-melting humility. To whom is he married? Oh, some, some waitress that he met. Some chick, so it's not Mini Driver? It's not, uh, he was a Mini Driver for the longest time, wasn't he? Yeah. I guess that's not. The, I guess that's uh, maybe that's not the case anymore. Some waiter, no really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, this is well-traveled comedic ground, but it is worth noting. I was thinking about this when you're describing this. That he and Matt, he and Ben Affleck, really are. It's sort of like they're the they're the Schwarzenegger, DeVito twins of the movie world. You know what I mean? We're one of those guys. It's like it's like at some point, post Goodwill Hunting, the universe just divvied everything up, and it all ended up on Matt Damon's side of the table. So you gotta wonder if those guys are still. I mean, I'm. I don't know. I don't mean to be sound insensitive, but you gotta wonder if they're still friends, and if so, if that's an awkward gathering, when Matt Damon and Ben Affleck hang out together. Oh, I think that they are. I've seen pictures of them recently. Him and Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck. I mean, do you suppose that they're all just? I mean, because look, even Ben Affleck, who as much as we make fun of that guy, he's still a movie star and he's still rich and he's still famous, um, and he's still married to Jennifer Garner, so he's got that going for him. You gotta wonder though if it's a little odd for them to get together, and it's just so. What are you working on? You know. Matt Damon? Well, I don't know. I'm working on the ninth uh, Bourne film, and, you know, I'm going to be on Broadway, and also I'm People's Sexiest Man of the Year, and I'm one of the best actors of my generation. What have you got going on, Ben Affleck? Well, I'm Casey Affleck's brother. You know, that's, I mean, that's kind of where it is at this point, although I did hear, I never saw, but I did hear that that uh, Gone Baby Gone is actually a really great film. I never saw it. Oh, really? Uh, My wife saw it. She said it was great. So, it's kind of a noir thing. So, uh, oh, he's he's uh, married to Luciano Barroso. And he's been married to her for two years. Excellent. They have a young baby daughter together. Uh, previous uh, Six Years Made Alive awards went to George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matthew McConaughey, Johnny Depp, Ben Affleck. Really? And Jude Law. All right. And Mark mm-hmm. Harmon. Don't forget Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon got it like three years in a row uh, when he was on the same elsewhere. All right. Uh, Rick, I just got your name on the Playhouse show this morning. You're welcome. Best show ever. I don't even know what that means. I well, I mean, I don't know what the Playhouse is, but the I children's just, program. just called up and the Uncle Nutsy show. Uh, just called up and uh, whatever. Uh, Rick, okay, here we go. Rick, I was just looking at your webpage. Until a few weeks ago, the baby Ricky billboard was on Southwest 3rd Avenue in the parking lot across the street from Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. 
kind of near Voodoo Donuts. I'd stare at it every morning for the past few months as I was taking the bus to work. I had the same kind of, hmm, reaction every time. I know the billboards aren't exactly plastered all over town, but I guess Minneapolis isn't that different from Portland. Too bad that when baby Ricky grows up, there won't be a special Olympics for him to compete in because of your laziness. Uh, sign. Aww. Thank you. Signed, Baywatch. All right. Here's Tim Riley. An Andy Warhol portrait of actress Andy. Elizabeth Taylor failed to bring in top dollar that one New York auction house hoped it would. The portrait sold for $23.6 million last night. $23.6 million, and that's less than what they thought? And it's what? It's just a painting of who? Elizabeth Taylor by Andy Warhol. Oh, they they were hoping to, for up to $35 million. Please. Is this what one is of those? That? It, is this the, the, the thing that where it's all the... Uh... Hello, I'm a professional broadcaster. Is this the uh, painting where it's nine different squares and they're all in different primary colors? Now, that's the Mar that's Marilyn Monroe. That's yeah. the Monroe thing. Mm -hmm. Well, what does this look like? Is it like some weird abstract? I don't know. Maybe it's one of those Campbell soup things with their face. Art the is just completely confusing to me. I don't know anything about art. It, art is just a mystifying. Art kind of makes me angry oh, because God. I no. I'm just I'm not. I'm just saying because I don't understand. Like, why is that worth twenty three million dollars? Well, because people who are huge fans of Andy Warhol want his specific product, and since he's dead and not producing any more of that product, they want that specific piece, and it's what it's worth to the person. Yeah, I yeah. suppose, but I just like I'll go to like uh, uh like a, like if I'm you know whatever you're at a value village or something and you see some painting of a bowl of fruit and I just look at that and I go well why is that only worth three dollars you know and because some other that value village no but I'm I'm not trying to like pick a fight about it I know it's subjective it's just that's why art is so puzzling to me. Because well, it's all about replication too. I mean, you're seeing a painting at Value Village. It's probably been done. You know, it's probably one of those glossy ones that's just been reproduced on a piece of wood over and over again. Maybe there's a documentary actually uh, that uh, called "Who the F is Jackson Pollock" that just came out, and it's about a woman who found a Jackson Pollock painting, like in her husband's garage, like behind some drywall. Um, and she didn't know what it was. And so they were remodeling the garage. Husband's dead. They were remodeling the garage. They pulled out some sheetrock, and somehow there was this Jackson Pollock painting, like, stuck back there. And she took it. She tried to take it and, like, sell it at a yard sale for, like, $5, and no one would buy it. Everybody's like, it's ugly. And she's like, I know, but it's only $5. They're like, well, screw it's, it's all splattery. No, but how much for the bowl of fruit? And so she kept trying to sell this painting, and, like, she couldn't get anything for it because, you know, people say, well, it's just a bunch of crap. And then, of course, and then at some point, an art guy came by and he went, "Hold on a second. And then they they just, they tested it and they found Jackson Pollock's like fingerprints on it. And of course, now it's like fifteen million dollars. Wow. So that's the sort of thing that get, just completely puzzles me. I don't get that kind of abstract art. I don't really like. But even when I went to the Pollock area of um, MoMA when I was in New York, I'm yeah. just kind of like, it's a bunch of splatters. Yeah. I still don't get it, even though I went. You know, I studied art history and I heard over and over again like the textures and the colors and stuff. It still just looks like a yeah. bunch of splatters. And I'm not thing. trying to be like falsely like blue-collar guy who doesn't understand art. I just honestly, it's just, it's one of the genes I don't have. I just don't have the gene for art appreciation. Like, when I went to, um, is it is it that the Museum of Modern Art? Mm -hmm. Which, as contrasted with, what's the other one? The Metropolitan? Yeah, there's the Metropolitan, which is... They have, like, the Van Gogh yeah. or whatever. So I saw that. But I went to the, the Museum of Modern Art, and I have to tell you this, that modern art... Part of it does, it, it, it just strikes me as a big scam. Like, yeah. it's a whole lot of, like, intellectual flim-flammery. There was this display at the Museum of Modern Art, and this is the sort of thing that just it pisses me off about art sometimes. It is literally, this is without exaggeration, it was a bundle of USA Today newspapers, like, not altered or in any way. It was like a month's worth of USA Today that a guy had tied up with twine and was sitting in the corner, and that was it. And it was like $9,000, you know? And then next to it, like, 
portrait of the artist, and it was like a biography of the artist who had just subscribed to USA Today, taken whatever, 20 papers, bundled them with twine, and sold it to the Museum of Modern Art for $9,000. And it, it sort of makes you angry, but at the same time, you're like, well, well done. Well, twine is very rare these days. I suppose. All right. Give me a good old-fashioned bowl of fruit any day. Well, it's like this. It's... It's been a hard day. I mean, really, what, why isn't this worth $9,000? The whole thing is just mystifying. Here's the thing I think about. You know what I wonder about Andy Warhol? And again, don't get me wrong. God bless him for being able to pull the carpet over everybody's eyes for like 30 years. I mean, you know what? If you can make money by just painting something that already exists and sticking it up on a wall, God bless you. That really is what this country is all about. Uh, it... It's like you always... Well, I think there was another documentary that came out recently about some guy who entered an abstract art contest in New York. And I may be getting the story wrong, but he had like his... He has like a two-year-old daughter, and he just had her like stick her hands in paint and just smear it all over some canvas. And then he entered it in an, and he made up a completely fictitious backstory about how the painting came to be, and he won first place, and they gave him like 40 grand. And then he unveiled at the end a video of his daughter just smearing some crap on canvas. Uh, the thing I wonder about with Andy Warhol and that Campbell's soup can, here's what I wonder. Did he have to pay royalties to Campbell's or get their permission to do that? And if not, why not? That's yeah, the thing I wonder about. Because you can't, like, um, you know, Joni and I had found this out. You know, that you can't, like, show anybody's picture in a movie uh, without their permission. Mm -hmm. You can't show a company logo in a film without permission. Or talk about the Super Bowl unless you pay a fee. So you have to call it the uh, the big game. The yeah. big, you know what we're talking about. The big game. Every January. They, well, the big game is coming up. Buy some snack chips. Because you can't. That's exactly it, Tim. You can't, I can't call it the Super Bowl. Do you know this? In radio ads, many people don't know this. In radio ads, A, you cannot. I mean, you can say it on the air here. But in an ad, in other words, anything for profit, you can't say Super Bowl. Without the permission, that's why you have to say the big game. You also can't say the names of the teams in an ad. You can't say, hey, coming up, the uh, whatever, the Diamondbacks are going to be playing this, you know, so, so buy some beer. You have to, you can say the, the geographic location. In other words, you can say Arizona State's going to be playing because that is just the... Um, you can't the, say the team name? You can't say the name of the team in an ad without the team's permission. So, like, you can't say, hey, watch the Bulls take on the Jazz this weekend, and while you're at it, buy some Fritos. You have to, you can say, watch Chicago play Utah, but you cannot say, watch the Bulls play the Jazz, because those are trademark names. Um, in a magazine ad, if, like, if you wanted to just have a magazine ad where you're, like, for Safeway, they could not show Campbell's soup cans in an ad for Safeway without the permission of Campbell's or Procter & Gamble or whoever it is. So I think about that Andy Warhol painting a lot. It's one of those things, and you can't look that up. Where can you look up the answer? You can look it up. There's no need to obtain permission as Warhol was not treading upon a trade, uh, trademark infringement. Infringement. But it is. It's a, but it's a. But it's a logo. Well, they must not have filed a trademark at that point. Well, now I'm just confused. Campbell's trademark was not in the public domain, but there was no infringement. So, but the yeah. Barbie cases confirm the principle. Stephen, how is that even? I don't know. I don't even well, know. Let me how ask this you works. about the art thing. All right. So you don't think that art, like, you don't understand people pay, like, millions of dollars. All right. Say you have a, a guitar pick from right. some band member that you know. That guitar yes. pick costs, what, like, 50 cents to make? Right. But it means the world to you. Like, why isn't that just worth 50 cents to you? Why would you not sell that for 50 cents? Well, no, I understand that. Don't get me wrong. I understand, like, if you're into the guy. Like, if you're into, hey, uh, I'm a huge fan of him and that guy. And, like, here's the thing. He, here's his hairbrush. So, therefore, I will buy it. I, like, I would never, like, I'll give the example. Like, at home, I have a bunch of guitar picks. I have a guitar pick I caught at an Alice Cooper concert. I have the Gene Simmons guitar pick. I have gum chewed on by Ozzy Osbourne. These are all things I have. 
I would never make the case, though, that, like, the guitar pick itself, like, objectively, stripped of whoever owned it, is worth, like, more than any other well, guitar pick. Well, that's the same with art. Like, it isn't objectively worth, worth anything. It's a piece of canvas with some paint on it. I guess, but I guess what I'm saying is, like... It's all the meaning. Like, it's the meaning to you. You're becoming and confrontational about this. I was an art minor. It's the meaning behind, you know, behind it. Like, that pick means something to you because it symbolizes something to you. The artwork symbolizes something to the person that creates it and the person that also purchases this it. This is a little circular, though, because here's what I'm saying. It's totally circular. But, because no, here's what I'm saying. Like, okay, um, well, let's just stick with Warhol. Um, so, you'll pay $23 million, not you, but people, will pay $23 million for something by Warhol because it's by Andy Warhol. But the only reason that Andy Warhol himself adds so much value to it is because, in other words, he became famous for his art. Yeah, he became like a pop culture so, icon out of his own art. So, so the art itself has been deemed by people to be really, really valuable. Just like the people buying Lindsay Lohan's car because yeah, but, it was just. But I'm car. saying, like, I would never say that a guitar pick is 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 in and of itself more valuable than another. But people do make the claim that, like. A painting by some guy is better than a painting by some other guy. You know what I mean? And so, like, I, that's what I don't understand. There won't be a there won't be a, a closing argument because yeah, because one is more important because it's the okay, weight well, of the importance of the person. Well, let's take a living person. artist. There are living artists who sell their paintings for all you know for huge amounts of money. So in that case, it's not because they're dead because the guy can always crank out more. Like, if you just show me, like, a living artist who paints some crap, and then another guy who just lives in St. John's and paints some crap. I cannot look at those two paintings and tell, like, well, that one is more important than that one because. But there are people who make that distinction, and I think in a lot of cases, like, that's just crap. It's just made up. Oh, um, the painting world can sometimes just be a huge popularity contest. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm not trying to pick a fight, and I'm not trying to be some, like, contrarian where I say, like, art is stupid. It's not that. It's, that like, the, the method by which people compare the value or the aesthetic worth of two paintings is completely it, it, and the only reason I say this is because I know a lot of artists and I feel I, I feel bad that like so many artists just get the shaft because like if some painting by some guy who lives in New York who the who the Village Voice said was great mm -hmm. that's worth like a billion dollars I get angry on behalf of artists I know whose art is not you know valued at that I agree well, yeah, with okay, that here's like Pasha to... Pasha our friend Pasha is a photographer she's an amazing takes photographer. great photography. Uh, but you know what? You, you know, but at this point, God maybe in the future, God willing. But at this point, nobody's coming to her and going, you know, that painting. I want to hang that, and it's worth fifty billion dollars. Whereas, you know, there's any number of people who take photographs of things, and like that photograph is somehow inherently worth a million dollars. I can see how you get mad because even going to the Museum of Modern Art and seeing like like a stack of toilet paper, like in a glass it's case, genius. like do not touch the sculpture. It's like, are you kidding? Like me? that makes me want to hunt the artist down and beat them savagely. Yeah. So no, I'm. But I'm, then I can see like seeing a Van Gogh in person and seeing the texture of the paint and the color and seeing how actually magical and beautiful that that kind of painting is. Now, if he was still alive. Would you feel as into that painting? Is it because he's dead? No, no, it's because, well, because I studied him a lot, too, and it's because of the texture and the colors of his painting. Like, I'm a painting dork. I, right. I would stand there in front of a painting for, like, 15 minutes and look at the textures and the colors and the way that they use brush strokes right. and what kind of canvas they use, what kind of paints and whatever. Here's the, a, oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, here's an example. Salvador Dali. Salvador Dali, to me, is both. His stuff is valuable, A, because he's dead and he's not making any more of it, and he was such a nutcase cool guy to begin with. And B, because his stuff doesn't look like anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Lichtenstein is the same way. The guy who did the pop art with all the dots. I think he's dead. 
Uh, maybe. I think he's dead. And his stuff is just amazing. You can look at a painting that but is who by... Are you trying to figure uh, what is it? Roy Lichtenstein? Ray Lichtenstein? He did this stuff. It looked like um, comic book... It looked like pictures from comic books that had been blown up, and you could see all the dots. Oh, yeah, It's amazing. Cool. Because you know what? You look at that, and you go, that's a Lichtenstein. Or you look at something by Picasso, and you go, eh, Picasso. You see the melting clocks? Bam, Salvador Dali. So that is all valuable, A, because they're dead. And the art itself is unique. We've gone and on for hours. <laughs> I don't care. You know, the art itself is unique and distinct. Now, on the other hand, if you take art that in and of itself does not look all that unique, in other words, you get a, uh, whatever, dead guy from 1500 France painting some fruit, and then you get a guy from Estacada painting some fruit. I think those distinctions are like BS. I think it's bogus. And it's that one has just been decreed by a guy, you know, with a goatee somewhere at an art magazine to be more valuable randomly. I think that there are subtle distinctions between two people's styles of art. Like, it might just look like two bowls of fruit to you. Maybe one's better quality. Like, maybe one from the guy in St. John's is a lot better, and you'll end up liking that one in the end. I mean, art is art, and you like it for a reason. It doesn't have to be specifically because somebody important painted it. You know what? Really, we're just... What are we doing? What are, what are we it's doing? Coffee, We've been talking about Roger this for 15 minutes. I'm we're wasting sorry. Tim's time. Hi, we're wasting Tim. everybody's I'm time. I'm sorry, Tim. What's that? You haven't weighed in on the art question. No, I enjoy that. I feel like I'm sitting during an NPR special here. Can I just tell you this? Um, can I just tell you I that? I don't have to participate to enjoy the program. We went from, like, Jim Roop swearing on the air uh-huh. to discussing uh, Baby Ricky to, you know, art. Uh, earlier we had some sort of, what a hideous thing, Richie, Richie being having his sense of smell stripped away at a rendering plant. Only this program can offer this kind of variety. Who wants to take calls about art? All right. Yay. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, I don't know if you saw the 60 Minutes deal. The uh, They took, like, some kindergarten or first grades or something like that and slapped some paint on a canvas, and they had these so-called art people come in and think it was brilliant. Yeah, no, some people have done that. Like, there was a guy who uh, took a bunch of earthworms and dipped them in paint and had them crawl around canvas. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he submitted it, and it was like, you know, they were like, it's genius. Let's give you a hundred grand for it. So, I mean, that's people have done that a lot. And again, don't. I'm not trying to be a reverse snob. Uh, I'm really not. I'm just saying <laughs> it's, like a, it's like people who can't tell, uh, you know, it's like people who are colorblind. I am art blind. I can't tell. Well, it's the, it's the difference between, like, how people, why people like art. Like, if they like it for the... Uh, for what reason? Do they like it because a certain person did it and it makes them feel cool because they have an art from that person, or is it because they actually like right. one piece more I than the I think it boils down, in my opinion, to just disgusting disposable income. <laughs> yes. Thank you, sir. Right. All right. Bye now. Um, Maybe you're the Richie Bristol of the art world. That's Well, no, that's really what it is. That is, And again, because again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just being a jerk to be like speaking for the common man or whatever. I, I wish I knew stuff. I just don't. Like, I have... Some crap hanging in my house, but the stuff hanging in my house, I just have because I liked it. Um, like, I have the only piece of dogs playing cards. No, but, you know, I really wish I could find that. The one, the only, uh, and it's a print, obviously, but the only piece of so-called legitimate art that I have hanging in my house, I bought when I was 18, and I didn't know the history. This is a perfect example, actually. I didn't know the artist. I didn't know that he was famous. I didn't know anything about it except that I liked it, and it was, you've seen it parodied a billion times, but you almost never see the original hung anywhere, and it's Nighthawks by Edward Hopper, and the parody you always see is it's like a diner, and it's like Elvis is serving coffee to Marilyn Monroe and James Dean, and that's the, you, unfortunately, you always see that, but the original is a Manhattan diner late at night in the 40s, 
and you just see like a kind of a crew cut guy with like the diner hat serving coffee to just like some broken down kind of men and women. It's very sort of sad and poignant. It's called Nighthawks by Edward Hopper. I saw that when I was about 18, and it just blew my mind. And you talked about seeing sunflowers now, it just blew your mind. Mm-hmm. I saw this painting, a print of it, when I was about 17 or 18 somewhere, at like probably like some mall store somewhere. And I was like, what is this? And the guy's like, oh, it's called Nighthawks. It's by Edward. And I'm like, sold. How much? Like, I had no money. I was dirt broke. But I paid to buy it. I paid to have it matted. And I paid to have it framed because it just it was amazing. I saw it like, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I even when I was desperately poor, I never sold it. I know I'm making myself sound like a struggling artist guy, but it was just great. It was amazing. And I was like, hanging over uh, my entertainment center at home. It's right there in the middle of my living room. But that's exactly mine. When I first moved here, I got that big picture. It was like in the 30s, and it's that huge photograph of the construction workers eating lunch over On the I-beam. Yeah. I have that. I, I I did the same thing. I bought this this print. I got it framed, and I carry it. I towed it with me every place I Because it's great, because you love it. I love it. I look at it, and it scares me, and fascinates me. You like to look at them, because these are all actual construction workers just hanging out, you know, thousands of feet in right. the air. And you didn't know anything about the province of the picture, who mm-hmm. took it or whatever. That's like me with this. I didn't know who Edward Hopper was. I didn't know he was a guy who'd done a whole bunch of crap. Uh, I just uh, thought it was cool. So, Tim, you have yet to weigh in on art. Well, speaking of things cool, how much would you pay for a globe that once belonged to Adolf Hitler? Everybody likes Hitler. Can I tell you? <laughs> that is the assembled opinion of the CBS Radio News Department that everybody loves Hitler. Um, Hitler. Oh. Wait, damn it. Blimey. I barely knew her. All right. Um, is this a Hitler globe? Yes, it is. See, this really is fascinating. I know we're, like, incredibly late for a break, but I don't care. Um, this is, this really is just radio at its finest. And then Sarah has to pee. Yes. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, like, if somebody said, would you like to buy Hitler's pencil box? You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't think, off. I don't totally think it, would. I don't know. I don't think that I, I don't know that I would. Maybe, maybe I would buy it and then give it to a museum or something. I mean, I'm not some hippie, trippy, freaky, whatever, but I think there's a weird energy with that. No, no, no. I, don't no, think no. I, I would want, want to own that about, stuff. Like, from that near me. Well, I've told this story before, I think, but Shades of American Beauty, my grandfather, who was a crazy man, my grandfather had, he was like that guy in American Beauty, my grandfather had a bunch of real, honest-to-goodness, Nazi stuff. Like the Nazi, the red armband with the white circle and the swastika and, like, the commander's hat with the Colonel Clink hat. My grandfather had all of that stuff. In his basement, and locked in like a glass display case, which is creepy, because my grandparents are terrible people, by the way, but God killed them all painfully. So he was a creepy, crazy, bigoted a-hole who had all this Nazi stuff. And I don't know what happened to it. It was one day, it was just gone. I think my grandmother sold it to somebody. But um, anyway, so tell me so tell me about Hitler's globe. So this uh, globe that once belonged to Hitler was sold at an auction for $115,000. It was purchased by a 78-year-old San Francisco re- uh, resident who used to work in the advertising industry. Uh, this is one of the things that one of the most evil men in history studied and studied. A retired U.S. soldier claims to have taken the desktop item from Hitler's home as a souvenir during his time in Germany. So $115,000 for Hitler's glory. And you say, is it going to a person or to a museum or something? A uh, person. A yeah, person. I don't think I'd want that in my house. I don't think I would. I mean, it's historic and it's whatever, but touching something that Hitler touched would just be creepy. You don't want to scrub yourself. All right. I'm sorry we ran so late with the art conversation, Tim. No, we should continue. Let's talk about it all day. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's talk about Vivaldi when we come back. Hey, when we return, we've got an exciting bit of interview news. Guess who we're going to be interviewing tomorrow? You'll never guess. 
Also, the low is on hold, and uh, some people weighing in on the painting thing, and then we'll move on. Hi, uh, it's the Rick Emerson program. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Emerson Radio Program. Uh, more news here in a moment. We'll go to the phones. We have the top five songs associated with Charles Manson uh, that are not Helter Skelter. Uh, got all that here in a second. So hang on. If you're on the phones, we'll get to you in just a few. Uh, we'll have more from Tim Riley. We'll uh, do this other, uh, some other stuff. Uh, Richie Bristol. Oh, do we have a sounder for Richie Bristol? We do. Right. And I don't have my microphone on. Yes, we do. Okay. Uh, here's the uh, let's now summon with the uh, to the uh, AM 970 studio. Richie Bristol. What cologne are you going to go with? London Gentleman or... Wait. No, no, no. Hold on. Blackbeard's Delight. No. She gets a special cologne. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. Yep. It's made with bits of real panther. So you know it's good. It's quite pungent. Oh, yeah. It's a formidable scent. Stings the nostrils in a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Richie Bristol. Hello. Hello. Hey, how are you? <laughs> All right. So now we're going to have somebody take you cologne shopping. Right. you gotta, you got to get rid of this. And we're going to do the whole movie thing where you see the big armful of substandard colognes being swept into the trash, replaced by one bottle that is your ideal scent, Richie Bristol. The makeover. Are all yes. of your colognes separate smells, or do you have any repeats in there? Uh, I don't think so. What well, is, I have a different type of polo, different Ralph Lauren. How many would you say you have? 12, 15. Jesus. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that is not a singular scent. <laughs> All right. Um, so please now do be sharing, uh, I haven't told these guys, the exciting interview opportunity that just presented itself, Richie Bristol. Lardass. Lardass yeah. Hogan from Stand By Me. Uh, so we heard that he was from Portland, that he was a camp counselor here. He's moved to New York. So how did how did you swing that? How, how did that happen? Uh, I am DB Pro, and then... You found him. Excellent. Yes. Well done. All right, so what are our options for interviewing Lardass Hogan of the great uh, Pie Eat? He said uh, tomorrow, Friday, 11 to 3. Okay, so let's say tomorrow, because Friday's usually kind of busy. Okay. Tomorrow, what time? 1? One? 1.40? 1.40? Do I hear 1.30? 1.40. 1.40. What's tomorrow, Thursday? Tomorrow's Thursday. 142. 142. 142. So if you can hook that up with him, that'd be fantastic. Okay, 140. I'll have to figure out his real name at some point. Andy. Uh, Andy Limner. All right. Uh, excellent. Woo. Well done, Richie Bristol. Good job, Yay. Richie Bristol. Excellent. Fantastic. So good luck clone shopping. There you go. The, um, we right. really got to make this an event, though. No, we, we're going to totally have to do it. I feel bad for him. Can't smell, can't. I mean, it really is like the scent was leading the blind. No, and it's something. like and he, he lives his life in a panic. You saw him. He's completely like, I smell all the time. So he's like carrying around all these bottles. Uh, it really is kind of sad and sweet. Uh, we'll take care of it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ministry of Truth, here's Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. I almost saw a blind man walk into a train yesterday. I'm sorry. I wasn't laughing. I swear I was clearing my throat. What? I almost saw a blind man walk into a train. Didn't he hear it coming? Well, no, usually it gets a little bit closer before it whistles, so he just got off one and had to walk across the, wa- uh, the walkway. That's... And then uh, he he, was, uh, he had his blind stick out there waving Jesus. it around. And, and lucky, he, you know, blind people have a, a sense that we don't have. 
even before it beat this horn, he turned around. He had a spider But, but I would have ran after him and stopped him. Of course, he probably would have ran straight in front of the train to get away from me. That would be the thing where you're diving. Oh, and that would have been one of those. I, I've actually thought about this sometime. I actually thought about, I ponder things like this in my head. If I were to see like a child or an elderly woman or baby Ricky or whoever wandering into traffic, would I dive in? For, would I go, dive into the road to shove them out of the way of the yes. car? Yes, you would. I probably would, but then you think that you would almost certainly be killed yourself. No, you know, true. that you would shove them out of the way and then the car would kill you. And that I'd be like Clint Eastwood in, in the line of fire. But at least I would be lionized yeah. uh, after my death. Well, maybe you shouldn't bother. Then. Nah, I'm not going to do it. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, Roseburg police have arrested two 14-year-old girls from Klamath Falls after their car ran out of gas. But that was only the first thing that happened. You see, one of the girls took the keys to her father's car this week and decided to drive all the way to Portland, as these small-town gals do. So she picked up one of her friends. They took turns driving. But in Ashland, one of them lost control of the car and hit the guardrail. Then in Roseburg, they locked the keys in the car and broke the rear window to get back in. Then they ran out of gas at a nearby tavern. A security guard spots the uh, girls and thought they're too young to be driving. Bad girls. Is there well, anything they won't do? At this point, the girls are trying to siphon gas from a vehicle when the guard approached. They're now in the Douglas County Juvenile Detention Center facing several charges. That sounds like some sort of a... That would be like a Russ Meyer, like a too young to drive, mm -hmm. but, you know, too fast to live or too old enough to love something. Uh, more stories for gals. The Dove campaign for rural beauty is continuing its fight against unrealistic for, standards for of attractiveness. Rural beauty? Real beauty. Oh, I was going to say, what would rural beauty this look is like? The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have five teeth. This is the Dove Self-Esteem Fund. They hope to touch five million girls by 2010 <laughs> with positive as, messages as on do the I. beauty. <laughs> Spokeswoman Jessica Wiener said the initiative is needed. Hold on. Wiener hopes, hopes to touch five billion girls? <laughs> Yes, she does. She said the initiative is needed now more than ever. Whether girls wear burkas or Birkenstocks, they are all worried about their bodies. Oh, my God. Did she just say that? What's most shocking is that the number one goal for girls career-wise right now is to be famous. Did they? Did she just say whether they wear burkas or Birkenstocks? Uh-huh. And her name is Wiener? Yes. And she hopes to touch how many girls? Uh, at least a 5 million girls by 2010. With this program. Wiener hopes to touch 5 million girls by 2010. That's shooting big. Uh, Wiener said the language used to describe uh, people's appearances needs to be altered. When somebody in the media calls Britney Spears fat, it just doesn't stay in the media. It actually trickles down to the playground where a girl all of a sudden, six, seven, eight years old, thinks, well, my gosh, I heard Britney Spears was fat. So I don't want to be fat. And then they start to obsess about their own body shape and size. Uh, yes, uh, let's see here. Um, oh, criticizing celebrities' bodies is a negative practice that needs to be stopped. Uh -huh. It sends a message to girls out there that their bodies are for public discussion and that their body is always a work in progress. When, in fact, our bodies are great gifts and our beauty is a, is a special and important part of us, but it's not blah, all blah, of us. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, the Wiener Woman says that the unrealistic <laughs> standard for beauty is damaging future girls. You're looking at girls, per that survey, that aren't raising their hands in class. They're not reaching out. And I think that that is our future leaders, right? Those are our future leaders. And if we're not cultivating our girls to take action in the world, we're all going to pay the price for it. I could never get past hopes to touch 5 million girls by 2010. <laughs> it was I, The story was over for me at that point. I will say... I watched The Biggest Loser last night, not because I mean, my wife watches that program. She loves reality TV. So I watched The Biggest Loser, and A, the woman who hosts The Biggest Loser looks strangely familiar to me, but for reasons I can't really define. I didn't care enough to look it up, but somebody knows who she is. And, you know, watching The Biggest Loser, it is sort of weird because you realize how you're not used to seeing fat people on television. And there they are. It's a whole screen full of fat people. 
I it's I mean it's like 10, 12, 15 fat people on screen at once. It is astounding. You realize how you're used to everybody in the media being really thin. So it kind of yeah. blows you away. Has anybody here watched The Biggest Loser? No. Mm-mm. Oh, it's great. They do. I mean, it's terrible. What but, channel is it on? I don't know. They uh, they do some. It's not some channel, but I only watch it because it happened to be on. But they they do this great thing. Every reality show has their own uh, ritual from when somebody's voted off. You know, like on Survivor, they put out your torch. And on, uh, you know, whatever. On some other show, they do some other thing. Um, the thing they do on The Biggest Loser when you're voted off, everybody has... It's called your case of shame, and your case of shame is like one of those, one of those pie cases they have at the restaurant where it's like a cylinder that has like rotating things inside. It's a light, and it's like you know the thing at the restaurants that they keep pies in, except the case is filled with all of the foods that are your personal weakness foods, and it has your name on it. And like when you're voted off the show, they extinguish the light in the case. Like we will now extinguish your case of shame. So it's like a cake case that gets turned off or something. Just the whole show is really weird. All right. So the uh, end of the wiener woman? We're done with the wiener woman. All right. Uh, preparing your delicious Thanksgiving feast needn't take days or hours. That according to celebrity chef and cookbook author Andrew Schlosh, who says a bit of planning can help eliminate Thanksgiving Day anxiety. It's probably the biggest meal that most people cook during the year. Not only is it more people, but it's more food, more courses. But there's a way to get around it. And that's the, the main thing I can tell people is you have to have a menu. Yes, it's that time of the year we dig up these old stories. Uh, Chef Shalosh uh, shares one of his favorite green bean casserole recipes. Putting some uh, mushrooms in it. You can either use a canned mushroom or you can use, now that you can get um, like portobello mushrooms in the can, you can do that. Or uh, a little bit of dried mushroom will give you a, a real, uh, a different flavor. All right. Whatever you do, be sure to crumple up potato chips on top of it. That's uh, that's really the key that makes it all mm. wonderful. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, well, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Las Vegas, uh, our good friend, The Low. Hello, sir. Oh, uh, good day. I'm sorry. I realize you're on hold. I didn't, uh, I, I didn't see you there. Um, oh, quite all right. So, uh, what brings you to the phone today, sir? Well, by, uh, some mysterious force of nature, force of nature, I sensed that my name was, uh, invoked for the purpose of bringing chilled alcoholic beverages to whites as they relaxed in the numerous comforts and amenities of Las Vegas. Is this correct? <laughs> well, that may be a little bit of a revision of the text. Um, it had crossed our mind uh, that because you are in Las Vegas and then today... Now, did, correct me if I'm wrong. Does not Jim Roop still owe you a drink or you owe him a drink or something? Didn't somebody owe somebody a drink in this equation already? I, I promised uh, Jim Roop a drink uh, primarily because he ended up... Uh, Handling, as it were, the bill for everyone going out to dinner at the uh, at the listener party. And so, all right. And so, so he he got stuck with the bill. I wouldn't say he got stuck with it, but he did. You know, because to be perfectly honest, there were a few of us who were, you know. Digging out the cash, and he was just kind of like, "Give me that." Well, fantastic. Well, of course, let's be honest. I mean, that was after the listener party, and midway through the listener party. I mean, the listener party, like at around nine or nine thirty, Susan Reynolds and I looked downstairs, and we just saw him teetering around, drunk. And I mean, he was well, well into his cups by then. And that's a man who I think can hold his liquor pretty, pretty well. But he was, uh, he was hosed. I think the, the scientific term for that is. That guy had the kind of fun that. You can't see on the outside. No. <laughs> he had the kind of fun you can only know on the inside. Uh-huh. No, and you know the great thing about Roop is, he, man, he went out and he had quite a night, and then he, but at a certain point, no one could find him. At a certain point, Sarah and I were like, where's Jim? And then Susan, mm-hmm. who was, you know, we're all sort of theoretically responsible for his well-being while he was here, we're like, where did Jim Roop go? And it's like he had just 
vanish into the ether somehow, and then just like a pro, he just what like like Walter Cronkite. He just walked into the studio the next day at about ten forty-five and was just gold. Was just ready to go, looking none the worse for wear. That oh guy, yeah, that, that guy's no joke. I thought he was done when he started. Uh... Uh, playing the bamboo flute downstairs by the door. Are you? Is that code for something? No, there's that big thing that looks like a bamboo reed oh, that they were using to hold the door open downstairs. Oh, that's right. And he picks it up and blows it like a horn. That's right. Susan and I were uh, at one point we were standing at the top of the stairs, looking down the stairs into the dressing room, the green room backstage. That's right. And. We see him holding this thing up to it. It looks like a huge bamboo straw and blowing into it and then, like, laughing aloud to no one and then, like, stumbling into a wall. And that was the last time we saw him that night. I love how word's going to get back to Jim that I accused him of blowing the uh, bamboo flute. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Oh, that doesn't sound good. All right. So, well, here's the thing. And, again, the only reason I bring this up is because, A, uh, you know Jim, and, B, because I'm not, I mean, I'm not really. Do we know other people in Vegas, Sarah? I don't think I do. and. No, that's it. I, I think it's it. So my um, Jay's mom lives there. Well, so we but got, she's pretty busy. <laughs> and so well, we got uh, so Roop is there, and then Lisa uh, Desjardins uh, is also there. But the problem is we don't know where, how. I mean, I don't know what the, what their deal is. It was kind of one of those ideas that I spoke aloud, and then I realized as I said it that the logistics of it were just sort of beyond me. I understand. You you think of me as a servant. It's okay. Thanks. I'm used to it. Thanks so much. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for using that phrase as often as possible. By the way, uh, two two things before I, before I let you go. Yeah. Uh, did did you get those? Uh... DVDs okay. I did. Uh, I sent you an email about that, but I don't know if the email uh, it found its way. It did. I meant. I got the DVDs from you, and then I, uh, for, uh, what is the show called? Uh, Code Monkeys. Code Monkeys, and it's all like 8-bit graphic stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I have them, and uh, I meant to respond to you as soon as I got them, and then I didn't. Uh, so I feel badly about that. But no, I that's, just... that's okay. I've been having some, some, some minor email difficulties, so I, I think it's all sorted yeah. out. So I, I responded late, but I did respond. Whether I don't know if you got that, but I did respond, and then as soon as I have... Uh, I don't know, like a couple days. I'm gonna as soon as I finish Battlestar, I'm gonna sit down and power load those so I get them all watched. Yes. Okay. okay I cool. do have them. And the last thing, uh, speaking of that billboard, yes. which I am going to hell for laughing at. <laughs> well, uh, with. we'll all be there with you. I'll, I'll get you an express ticket if you've ever seen the uh, YouTube video of uh, the Merrill Howard Kalen show. No, I don't. Well, I don't know. Is, wait, is this is this the thing that has the three guys in the wheelchairs singing? God, what is it? Singing um, instead of "Take on Me," it's like "I'm Not Gay" or something. No, no, okay. this is this is a uh, mentally handicapped individual hosting a cooking show. <laughs> I'm sorry, I already laughed just at the concept. I just laughed. at the concept, you already laughed when you if you watch it, you will hit the floor. As a matter of fact, I'll send you the email because there's a if, if you get the exact one that's kind of cut down with all the fat trimmed out of it, uh-huh. so to speak, and. Uh, It'll give you exactly what to punch into YouTube, so I'll send that over to you right please, now. Please do. Please. It is comedy gold. Please. And is this a real, is it a sketch thing or is it real? No, it's it's public access television okay. from Illinois, I think. <laughs> of course. And, I, you know, I'd love to start giving you details, but it, there are no words in the, in the you, you'll have a newfound appreciation for anyone who goes, mm-mm. All right. Fantastic. I'm all over that. We'll okay, be, we'll be watching that. for that email. I'll send that over right. Uh, right now, and I will talk to you later. Thank you, sir. Later. There you go. Our good friend, the Lowe, in Las Vegas, Nevada. Fantastic. All right. There you go. Excellent. Right. I'm trying to find it on the YouTube, and no, I can't. He's, he's going to send us the link.
Rick, I thought I recognized the host of The Biggest Loser. Uh, for about 10 seconds, I was positive that Anna Nicole Smith had come back to life and was tormenting fat people. She does. Apparently, she's a soap actress. Uh, Susan Reynolds actually has uh, emailed in. She says, uh, I love The Biggest Loser, says Susan. It's hosted by Allison Sweeney of Days of Our Lives. Well, I wouldn't know her from there. Well, whether, maybe she just looks like somebody I know then. She used to be fat, but obviously is slimmed down. It used to be hosted by Carolyn Ree. Rhea? Ree? Oh, I know Carolyn. Wait, no, I'm thinking of somebody else. I don't even know what the... I don't know what the hell I'm talking about now. Uh, let's see. Here on KCMD Portland, this email says... Uh, we'll just do a, a couple quick observations about the art thing, and then we're going to move on uh, from that. Rick, I'm hearting Sarah right now. I love Salvador Dali, too. Here's something that sums up how redneck WSU is. Maybe Sarah will agree. I had a class with a bunch of hick freshmen when I was a senior, and we were discussing the surrealism movement. We had to break up into groups of six and talk about it. I was the one dissenting vote at the end of the discussion. My retarded group voted five to one that surrealism was not art. Go American educational system. Oh, so, there you go. That's uh, Todd the Corpse sends that in there. Oh, Todd went to WSU? Uh, apparently. Awesome. I didn't know that, but apparently so. Uh, let's see here. Well, let's just get these calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey Rick, what's up? How do you, how do you uh, know, on the on the art thing? Yes, uh, I'm a. I've talked to you guys before. I'm a beer delivery driver, and I'm in a lot of like trendy bars and restaurants and stuff. Uh -huh. And of course, they sell a lot of art on the wall sometimes. And on this, the whole thing about modern art, sometimes I'm with you. It just angers the crap out of me because time and time again, I see stuff that's literally just too boards nailed together with like a something painted on it that says like capitalism sucks yeah. and, they, and they and then they want to charge like three hundred dollars for it and i see it time and time again and i just rip my hair out but on the other hand like uh, my father he does uh black and white prints and uh when back in the mid 80s he did, took a trip to russia and took a took a photograph of some guards in red square uh -huh. like a line of them marching and one of them, just one of them, is turned, staring at my dad's camera lens, just with eyes of utter. It, you would, you would almost say hatred. But I want to see it. I want. Oh, it's 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 the coolest picture. But he's just staring him down like he's like, uh, just just, just with utter rage. And I, it's, it's I, a killer I, photograph. And yet, I know for a fact my dad will never make hardly if if he if it, if he ever wanted to, like he won't, he won't make any money off that. I want to see that. If I if it's if you are ever able. To whatever in any way, let me see that. That was you know do the the picture you know whatever if you know if 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 that's possible or if your dad is cool with that at some point. Just the description of that makes me want to see it. Yeah, it's a cool photograph. But yeah, all this other modern art I see, you know, I see on TV, like you said, like the bundle of papers and crap, and yeah, it just angers the crap out of me. It's a diaper sitting inside a postal box, you know. Yeah, it's garbage. All right, yeah, I'm with you. Thank you, sir. All right, later. All right, there you go. One more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. What's up? Hey, dude. Hey. Oh, so the one thing that really gets me about that baby Ricky poster, I mean, yes. billboard thing. Uh huh. So he's like, he said, it says like I have Down syndrome. Yeah. So is that billboard insinuating that liberal people just have some big pit that they throw their Down syndrome babies in? <laughs> I mean, like, what's what's it saying exactly? Actually, that's pretty true. I don't really know. Actually, I mean, like, I'd understand if it's like you know, don't kill babies, don't get abortions, but it's like, here's this baby, don't kill it. It has Down syndrome. But yeah. is there anyone that does that? 
Yeah, I, I don't really know the answer. The billboard poses all kinds of questions, actually, and I don't really know who could answer them. It does. It, the billboard itself, speaking of art, that billboard itself is almost like a great art project because just the observations and thoughts and questions that come out of that are, are just, they're never That's true. Ending. It's a better piece of art than crap on, like, splattered on a canvas. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'm with you. All right, thank you, my friend. All right, thanks, there Rick. You go. There you go. That's it. All right, we'll be done with that. All right, it's 210. 210, 210, 210, 210. Uh, well, here's, um, I just don't even know what to do here. Uh, okay, so we're done with the CNN stuff. I'm going to put that over there. Uh, okay, I got Lowe's video about the retarded guy cooking. Um, do we dare watch this on the air unscreened? Well, if it's a show, it's probably decent. Well, it's cable access, though. Although he's oh. handicapped. He's, you know, probably not. He's not, it's not like he's a comedian, in other words. He's not on there like the... All right. I'm just... Uh, I realize now we're watching a YouTube video on the air. Just watch part of it. This is Meryl Howard Kalen. This is from our friend Lowe. Apparently, this is a one of God's special children. Uh, older, though. Did you get this? No. Okay. I'm just going to watch a little bit. Apparently, it's a cooking show hosted by a handicapped man. Live from Little City Studios in Palatine, Illinois, it's the Merrill Howard Kalen Show with the host and star of the show, the great gourmet himself, Merrill Kalen. The only ingredient I can see on the table is a huge bottle of cranberry juice. Uh-oh. Welcome. Oh, God. Rick. Oh, God. Okay. I... Is he extremely... I'm sorry. I was thinking of something I found funny I heard last week, but it has nothing to do with this guy. He's a large man, first of all. I would say he's in his mid-20s and large. I'm just going to back it up and just... The great gourmet himself, Meryl Kalen. Welcome. Hi, this is a Meryl Howard Kalen show, and I'm the host. Is Mel Howard Kalen, and so for tonight is how to cook chicken. This seems like it's just going to become so unbearably awkward. This is really a bad idea. I wonder if they equip him with knives. Do you mean it's a bad idea for us to play this or for them to let yeah. him cook? Oh, I don't know. Well, it it seems like that must, by definition, that must necessarily include letting him have access to a stove. I mean, unless he's just cooking things at room temperature. Unless it's a whole lot of, like, no-bake cookies going on in the Merrill Kalen show. Maybe I'll watch the rest of this later. Thanks, Lo. I'm going to watch this uh, later, and then we'll figure out what to play. How long is it? Eight minutes. Oh. Apparently, quote, all the unfunny parts have been edited out. It's just the gold. He had me at... Hello! Uh, all right, let's see here. Do I dare take this call on screen? Okay. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Huge fan, but you've got to watch this thing all the way through. Now, I mean, you, will, you will absolutely die. Is the humor the primarily visual, or will it be funny to the audience? Uh, and by funny, I, I mean, you know, it, interesting. It's a long clip to play on the air, but, I mean, it, 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 it's bad to laugh at it, but it is one of the funniest videos I've ever seen. Um. Uh, all right. So you would you would recommend watching it though? Yeah, I would recommend watching it. I mean, it is funny for on air, but I don't know. It, it that's a little bit long for on air, but you will die laughing, man. It, well, let me just. Uh, all right. Let me just cue it up here, and maybe we'll scan through it in a break or something, and we'll see uh, see what what becomes of it. 
Okay, and hey, thanks for curing me from watching porn at all on the internet anymore after that video that you posted on your uh, on your website. Uh, I really what, appreciate what that. I do. Hey, have you seen? There's a guy. Uh, I'm not gonna play it because it would be pointless, and I'd have to believe it all to hell. Have you seen that guy who's singing a tribute song to that video? No. There's a, a YouTube video out there of a guy with an, like a James Blunt type guy with a guitar singing this really pretty acoustic ballad about that video. And it's oh like him God. it's like him in a park with wind blowing through his hair and he's singing this really sweet song but it's all about that video in graphic detail. So yeah, well, you know, look I, I don't want to hear that because I wish I would have never saw that video. There you go. That'll let <laughs> stay with you forever. All right. All right thanks go. a lot, Rick. All right, thank you. Uh let me just uh The great gourmet himself, Merrill Kalen. Welcome. I, uh, yeah, I should watch this. Well, he has his own TV show, show, and we don't, right? I was going to know what's putting me on television. And you crunch it up. He's crunching. Crunch it up. He's crunching up some lettuce. Crunch it up. This is... Repeatedly. Wonderful. You see, that's how you're cooking with meal. You do the right thing. That's how you cook. I do that at home all the time with my mom and my dad. Aww. Oh, boy, delicious. They're letting him use knives. Well, I think that's okay. Wow. Wowie, kazowie, meal make good salad. Ooh, mmm, so good. It tastes good. It's so good, it's unbelievable. He's really enthusiastic. Mmm. Really enthusiastic. Mm, so good. Look at this! Mmm! So good and tasty! They make my mouth so yummy! Next thing is we're gonna do is... The, we got the main part of it, the cheese. Is... is that, um... Is to do... Is... Ah! I forgot! We're gonna cut up the lump! Bananas, we forgot. Ooh, yeah. Making a salad with bananas. Uh, I, I really don't know. I really am not sure what he's doing. Ooh, oh. um, the. Sorry, folks, my banana got rotten. I'm Julia Child. I'm making those um, my bananas. Cut them up, skinny, all like. And you know who else is here next to me? Is what? Okay, so we're now watching a YouTube video of a mentally handicapped man imitating Julia Child on cable access. Cutting up a rotten banana, up a rotten banana to put into a salad. To, I'm sorry, to squunch it up into the salad. I'll watch the rest of that later and we'll okay. isolate something out of there. All right. Um, well, it's 15 after. It seems like it's a little early to, to, to break. Um, but maybe we ought to. How Is this break uh, substantial? Yeah, they're both pretty substantial. Well, we're here's what's still uh, still to come today. Uh, we'll go over this list of cities in which we are gigantic. I got this right here. I know I've been teasing that forever, but it's right here in front of me. Also, uh, top five songs associated with Charles Manson. Uh, we'll get to that as well. Plus more from Tim Riley. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We return after this. 503-733-2970. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Don't go anywhere.
No, of course not. No, I I thought for a minute I did. I thought I had some kids of Whitney High, but you know what I do have? This ties in the kids of Whitney High angle and the the and the, uh, the handicapped chef angle all at once. Now, and of course, Windows may not... Oh, you know why? It's because the YouTube window is still open. All right. You can't play multiple things at once? I can't have YouTube open and then play something of Windows Media Player. But what I... Okay, I can... What I do have is this. Hey, Joey, I got the pizza with sausage and pepperoni. You bet. <gasps> now, listen, guys. We have Chris Burke? healthy. But we like pizza. We like pizza. Listen up. Now, I've been told you've got to eat nutritious. But I do bother much on something that's delicious. Chew a chewing gum, lick a stick of licorices. That makes eating fun. But if that's all I had to eat, I have a tongue ache and have no teeth. So once in a while, <laughs> it's I, the I, sorry, it's the I have no teeth part. That's what eating is serious. Eating is fun. Eating is serious. Why do you know this? You know every word of this. That's creepy. I know this. I'm old school, Chris Burke. Are you just a fan of the handicapped singers? or? I love me some Corky Thatcher. I was... You know? Okay. I left that wide open for a joke. What was it? Asking if you were a fan of handicapped singers. Or retarded singers. I was, I was waiting for you to jump right in there. That's okay. It's just as well. <laughs> You just turn your mic off. <laughs> uh, Ooh, they have music videos. For who? For the kids at Whitney High? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they're they're big. You know, they're on Ipecac Records, which is Mike Patton from Mr. Bungle. Uh, he runs a label called Ipecac Records, and they are signed to his record label. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, they have. They have no. They don't. They. It's not a joke. They have a real record label and a real contract. Uh, on a label that a lot of people would like to be on because it's a, it's a it's a label with a lot of sort of street cred. Uh, let's get a couple of these here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello. Yeah, Rick. Yes, sir. On that uh, Cook show, one uh-huh. on one of his episodes, towards uh, he he did fine, but they had to reshoot the show at the towards the end of the show. He was doing dessert. And he was making tarts. He grabbed them out of the oven. They went on the floor. So after that, the whole show was retarded. Can I get a wah-wah? Thank you. Bye. Bye. Retarded. Okay, that's funny. I'm sorry. That really is funny. I tried to hold it. You know what's funny about it, though? Here's what's funny. It's not really that amusing, except when you consider the disproportionate, like, amount of work he had to do constructing a story just to lead up to the word retarded. That's what makes it funny, is the fact that he really took, like, the longest, most circuitous route just to get to that word. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, this is Marlene. Hi, Marlene. How are you? I'm good. I was just driving home with my son, who is mentally challenged, and I'm listening to you. Yes. And uh, he is going, what what part of chicken do you put salad in? (laughs) It's salad and chicken. Maybe it was cabbage, Mom. Maybe it's cabbage. What's the bananas? Do you use bananas in chicken? So he was, and every he was, time that you, he almost okay. wet his pants, laughing his so pants. hard when you said jello. That's okay. I had to bleep the p word there. He almost wet his pants. Oh, he almost. So. And now he's on the internet right now. He's going to be screaming cooking. at me how to spell Merrill. <laughs> how old is he? So now he has, he's fourteen, oh. and he has an IQ of sixty-five. Now, does he cook? Um, I'm yeah. not trying to be flip about no, that. No, he, I mean, he can make a few things. 
Um, he can make soup and grilled cheese and a fried egg. I got to tell you, you know, I was looking at this the Merrill thing, and like I said, this guy, I'm looking at his YouTube videos, and one of them has 44,000 views. And you know what? In my life, nothing I have I have ever done has been seen by 44,000 people. So it is great. The Internet really has just opened doors for all manner of folks who would not achieve any other level of fame otherwise. Well, I, what I think is funny is a, a mentally challenged kid making everybody else laugh is making another mentally challenged kid laugh. No, it is like a full, like you can hear the closing of the circle in your head. It, it's just, it's sweet justice. All right. So now, it's saying, Mar- have a good one, everybody. Did you right. want to know how to spell his name so that you... Yeah, he able, has he been able to find it online or do you need to know how to spell it? I'm going to let him just click around because that keeps him busy and then I can get something done. <laughs> okay, see, you laugh first, which is why it's okay for us to laugh. Well, you know what? When you have a kid like that that runs after you, I mean, it's like having a two-year-old around you all the time. If you can get them busy trying to figure something out, all of a better day. Excellent. All right. Yes. Marlene, Thanks for having me. Marlene, thank you so much. Bye. All right, there you go. That's oh. uh, Marlene in Portland. What did I miss? Marlene, you know, Tim, at this point, trying to explain it all is just... I I ran to the newsroom because, as usual, I'm busy working. No, I had to bleep part of that, unfortunately, because she used a word that you can't use on the air, but she was describing how... So great. So Marlene... So her kid is listening to us on the radio as we're playing the Merrill... uh, What's his name? Merrill Howard Kalen cooking... And her kid is in turn then getting so excited by that that she didn't use uh, this word, but she said he then almost peed himself. He was so excited to get home and apparently began Googling this so he could then chop things up in the kitchen. It's all very interesting. What a strange program we have. Uh, Let's see. Okay, so we should do this, then the top five. Ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Lawrence, we're lady of the coup, accused of drunk driving and then biting her son to stop him from calling 911, may try a mental illness defense. Paulette Lynn Spears pled innocent the charges of DUI, reckless endangerment, and assault. She was arrested after Spears apparently tried to take the phone away from her eight-year-old boy, as he called, then eventually bit his hand to get him to release the phone. Wait, what? What, who, what is this? We talked about this a long time ago. This woman's driving around, allegedly drunk. Oh, this is the kid who bit the bit the... Okay, yeah. And then she bites the son because he called 911. Right, okay. All right. No, she's good at... For some reason, I thought we were talking about Britney Spears for a second. Well, her last name is Spears. Okay. So now she's got to say she has mental illness. It's okay she's in the coup. I heard kid and biting and driving and cell phone and Spears and, of course, blah, blah, blah. All right. Uh, Paul Stanley has a new guitar. Washburn uh, Guitars is inter- uh, introducing the Paul Stanley Preacher, which the rocker is calling, quote, an historical classic that could have but never actually existed. He said that his goal is to create an instrument that would, quote, retain all the characteristics that made a legendary guitar the gold standard for the last 50 years, yet create something new, unique, and improved. This is uh, this is Paul Stanley from KISS? Yes. That is great that he's getting a guitar called a preacher, though, because he does, as he has said repeatedly, he does uh, very much model his stage presence on uh, evangelism and on... Uh, and on. This is really... I'm just basically bluffing so that I have uh, time to get to the... Uh, Hi, this is Gene Simmons. Call now. Well, don't to... call. That's not the one I was going to try to play. No. Nah, never the, the moment has passed. Let's uh, do that countdown, then. Uh, here's your top five, ladies five, and gentlemen, for uh, Wednesday. One, fire. Shouting is what.
wonderful counting is marvelous. Counting is the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. I love to count, don't you? All right, ladies and gentlemen, with your top five for Wednesday, here is the one and only Tim Riley. And it was 73 years ago this week that Charles Mills Manson was born on the planet Earth, destined for a life of infamy and terror. His impact on American life, society, and the media has been profound. It is shown by these, the top five songs associated with Charles Manson. These are the top five non-helter-skelter songs associated in some way with Charles Manson. But honorable mention going to Ozzy Osbourne with a bloodbath in paradise. Oh, this is a creepy song. This is on the No Rest for the Wicked album. Now, I have ranked these not according to the, 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 the fame of the artist or even really the quality of the song. I have ranked these according to how creepy the association with Charles Manson is or how weird it is. This is uh, Bloodbath in Paradise, which I think is the first song on side two back when albums. That's a weird thing to think about. I guess this happened with the CD, but even especially now with like uh, the, the iTunes and the MP3, there are really no more sides. That's strange to think about. Okay, I just got lost in my own head there for a second. People aren't going to have side two of a record anymore. That's just weird. All right. Uh, anyway, so this is just about Charles Manson. Yeah. Not really associated with him, except that the song is about uh, the Sharon Tate thing and whatnot and the blah, blah, blah. Oh, I hope there's this band called The Wonderstruck who have a song about um, Marilyn Manson. Did you get, or Marilyn Manson about Charles Manson. Did you get that? I don't know anything about them. Nope. I don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about that band. Can I tell you this? This is actually just said not for purposes of self-aggrandizement or promotion. Dave Zinn, though, is hilarious. Dave Zinn just came by my office the other day, and he goes, in his best ACDC voice, he goes, You've been wonderstruck! And then he just walks away. <laughs> um, yes, I don't know anything about that artist. This, uh, however, is... Uh, yeah, so this is called Bloodbath in Paradise, blah, 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 Sharon Tate, blah, blah, blah. I've actually been to the Sharon Tate house, except you can't see it uh, from the street. Because it's, there's a gate, and then you got to go up a hill, and you go around a bend and pass some trees. So I've never actually been able to see the Sharon Tate house. Because from the road, all you can see is a little bend in the road. Uh, you just, uh, yeah, cause there's a whole gate there. Because so I guess they got a problem with people like me going up there and trying to stare at it. Number right. five, System of a Down with A-T-W-A. So, uh, so this, is, this is off uh, Toxicity. System of a, of a Down here. Uh, A-T-W-A is the name for a an environmental movement created by and named by Charles Manson. It stands for Air, Trees, Water, Animals. And it's part of the Manson family's belief that all living things exist together in some big blah, 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 ecosystem, blah, blah, blah. And that anybody who, who violates the something coordination of nature and the balance of whatever ought to be, I don't know, hacked up or something. So, um, But so ATWA... It's weird because there is no other alternate explanation for it. ATWA is an environmental movement founded by Charles Manson and still run by Sandra Good, I think, and Lynette Fromm and whatever. And then, of course, it just ends up sounding like every other system of a down song. At a, at a certain point, these guys really just sound like a comedian doing a bad impression of System of a Down, but what are you going to do? So this is uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. System of a Down. We're counting down the top five songs associated with Charles Manson in order of creepiness. Number four, Nine Inch Nails, March of the Pigs. Okay, now this one is higher up on the list in terms of creepiness because 
this, uh, which is, of course, I believe this is the third track, or the second track on the Downward Spiral, this was recorded in the Manson house. This was recorded in Sharon Tate's house. Oh, uh, creepy. Yeah, which, of course... Which, of course, uh, uh, Trent Reznor claims, I had no idea it was Sharon Tatus. Like the real estate agent wouldn't tell you that. Or maybe they wouldn't. Tim, would you volunteer that information as a realtor? No, and you don't have to. Really? Is that true? Mm -hmm. Even if a murder's been committed on the property, you don't have to? You don't have to tell them that there's been somebody like that's been stabbed a thousand times? Well, all right. Well, there you go. So yeah, so this was so the downward spiral was all recorded in a studio that was built inside Sharon Tate's home, and uh, and, and so so Trent Reznor claims that he didn't know any of these all, even though this is called March of the Pigs. I think the second song on the downward spiral is called Piggy, and of course that's the word that was written on the wall after the killings and so forth. So he claims he didn't know, but man, he milked that for every little bit of publicity uh, he possibly could. So, yeah, I think he subsequently moved out. But, yeah, this was recorded inside the house where Sharon Tate was killed. All right. Counting on the top five songs associated with Charles Manson. Number three, The Lemonheads. Your home is where you're happy. Fronted by the uh, the dreamy Evan Dando. Well, he's okay. It's not I don't think he's so dreamy now, what with the crack addiction and all. Uh, but now, this is creepy because this was on... Let's see, this was on the Lemonheads album called Creation, and this song is credited to N.H. Maddox, uh, which is a pseudonym. This song is written by Charles Manson. So the Lemonheads recorded this song, released it, put it out on a label, and nobody ever realized at the time that this song was written by Charles Manson, flat out written by Manson. Um, and yeah, the Lemonheads are just viewed as being this power pop group, and they, you know they had that cover of Mrs. Robinson, and they did the outdoor type for the Dow of Steve, and then underneath the radar, they released this weird, creepy song that Charles Manson himself wrote in like 1966, which is just all kinds of weird, and it does show how deep into the American culture, and especially into the rock and roll culture, uh, Charles Manson has seeped. We're counting down the top five songs associated with Charles Manson that are not Helter Skelter. Number two, Guns N' Roses. Look at your game, girl. All right, this is the final track on the Spaghetti Incident. And again, this song also written by Charles Manson. Written by Charles Manson? Written by Charles Manson. Just just like uh, the Lemonhead song that we just played. And... It's, and, and it's still available. That's the that's the other weird thing about it. You go into a store right now and you buy the Spaghetti Incident. You go online to iTunes or whatever and you buy the Spaghetti Incident. This is the final track. I mean, and I guess it sort of makes sense because the... Um, you know, because these guys were so sort of obsessed with Charles Manson, and you know, Axel used to wear that what shirt. What is it with men being obsessed with Charles Manson? Charles You're Manson obsessed with Charles Manson. I, obsessed is the wrong way to put it. I don't wish to sound creepy. Uh, Charles Manson is pretty fascinating, though. When you, he is really fascinating in a big way. First of all, when you consider the fact that Charles Manson was raised entirely by the government. I mean, by the time he was, I think, 30, like 23 of his years had been spent being raised by the government. He is a, he is a product of the American of of the of, of, of the American system. The government essentially raised him, and you know, and it's also fascinating that he was a very ugly man. You know, not physically attractive in any way, had no money, didn't have any real power. And yet he was able to get, like, these 30 girls to just hang out with him. Men, too, but people fix it on the girl, the Manson girls. 
He was able to get this whole gaggle of girls who all came from middle to upper class, very stable, suburban, you know, white families. You know, the so-called all-American girls. They all left these pretty prosperous backgrounds and futures to go live with this dirt-poor hippie in like a mud hole somewhere. And then to commit all these horrific crimes for him. And they didn't come from weird or criminal backgrounds. I mean, he's really fascinating in a lot of ways, which is why, you know, I think a lot of guys are so sort of intrigued by him. But yeah, this what I think about with the spaghetti incident is, and you'll hear Axel Rose at the end, he says, thanks, Chaz, which is, of course, short for Charles. You'll hear him actually name-check him at the end of the song. Let's see, where is it? He did. Ooh. Creepy. So there's Axel Rose being all creepy for you. Um, but you know what I think about, and then we'll do the number one here, is when you hear... I mean, that's two songs in a row written by Charles Manson, released by well-known bands, the Lemonheads and then Guns N' Roses, who were the biggest band in the world for a long time, on a major, on Geffen Records, putting out a Charles Manson song. I wonder where that money goes. Like, where where does the royalty from a Charles Manson song go to? Uh, you know, who makes money How did they get that? their hands on Charles Manson song? There are bootleg recordings of it because Manson had gone into studios uh, to try. He was a frustrated musician. Manson wanted to be a rock star. And he had done all of these sort of recording sessions. But, you know, his music was either too weird or too strange or whatever. Uh, but there are bootleg tapes. I, don't, I do not own any. But uh, there are bootleg tapes floating around that you can buy of Charles Manson recording demos of these songs. Um, and so Guns N' Roses got their hand on one, and Axel has this whole fetish for Manson. He used to appear in concert wearing a shirt that had Charles Manson on the front, and in the back it said, Charlie, don't surf, which is a line from Apocalypse Now. Um, but it's the same reason all those weird Misfits songs got covered by Guns N' Roses, even though they weren't out, because there were these bootleg tapes circulating. So, so that is, you know, that's probably the most widely heard Charles Manson song, because it was on a Guns N' Roses album. Still is, to this day. And they keep swearing they're going to take it off. You go to the store and you buy it, it's still there which is creepy. Mm. Uh, all right, counting down the top five songs associated with Charles Manson that are not Hilter Skelter. Number one, the Beach Boys, Never Learn Not to Love. All right, so this is the creepiest. So here is the Beach Boys, presumably the most American band ever, the definitive American band. And they are singing the song called Never Learn Not to Love, even though they changed the title. This song, written by, who wants to finish this sentence? Mm, Charles, Charles Manson. Manson. And Charles Manson hung out with Dennis Wilson, who was the drummer for the Beach Boys for a while. Yeah. And Dennis Wilson was just sort of into it because Manson had all of these hot girls around him and lots of drugs. And Dennis Wilson, of course, was like, oh, girls and drugs, I'm there. And he wasn't too bright to begin with. Manson, in turn, was attracted to the Beach Boys because Manson wanted a recording deal. So Dennis Wilson brings this song to the Beach Boys. One of these said, hey, guess, look at this great song that I wrote with a guy. And the Beach Boys, of course, said, well, that's an interesting song. Let's record it, never knowing where the song came from. A couple of years later, Dennis Wilson turns on the news. Hey, here's a guy being arrested for the Sharon Tate murders. Hey, there's that guy I wrote that song with. So the Beach Boys, completely unknown to them, the Beach Boys recorded this song written by Charles Manson, which is to this day available on records. You go into the uh, record store, you go into iTunes, uh, which is where I got this. And you can buy this Beach Boy song, which was written by Charles Manson. I mean, Manson is sort of omnipresent in society if you know where to look. I mean, it's kind of creepy. It's not kind of creepy. It's really creepy. It's like Walter Cronkite. Yes, <laughs> exactly. He's the Walter Cronkite of crime. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Show.
Uh, we now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, by the way, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. Rick, that welcome from the Chef Howard Kalen bit sounds exactly like the one Don and Mike use uh, at the beginning of the show, where he says, welcome to the show. Uh, I Several people pointed out, so apparently this uh, we're late to the party on this. Is it the same thing? I guess it is. So uh, several people have said that Don and Mike use that, uh, and I guess... So I guess Don and Mike actually did discover this guy earlier this year or last year or something. And so, they, yeah, they actually use him saying, welcome! Or sorry, oh. or whatever. Uh, We're not be- usually so late on this stuff either. Uh, well, don't blame us. Uh, so, I, it, 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 so I, yeah, I guess that they use that um, at the beginning of their program. Well, so there you go. We can't be first in everything. Uh, let's see. Rick. I just watched the Afro Ninja thing for about the 12th time in a row. It's hilarious, brilliant. His skills with the chucks is perfect. But my favorite part is the quick look at the camera he gives beforehand. It's a look that says, here comes something completely badass. Boy, was he ever right, but in a way he could never have anticipated. Uh, Let's see. And I don't think we have time for anything else. When is the uh, music starting? Yeah, there you go. Uh, join us tomorrow when we'll speak to Andy Lardass Hogan uh, from Stand By Me. I know he has a real name. I just can't remember what it is at the moment. So I think we'll, he's an artiste of some kind, too. Uh, yeah, in New York. And, and it was, so we'll be able to clear up once and for all whether or not he was a camp counselor here in Portland. So, uh, so yeah, Lardass Hogan from Stand By Me on tomorrow's program. Uh, plus Lisa Desjardins and James Roop in Las Vegas. Uh, we do want to thank James Roop, Steve Kestenbaum, and Bob Costantini for joining us today. Uh, and there you go. That's it. Uh, Rick Emerson show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Zarek Zillin for AM 970 Solid State Radio in the newsroom. It's Tim Riley. Uh, let's see. On the phones is Richie Bristol, the gatekeepers, Dave Zinn, and CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Reynolds. Uh, like us next. Down on my kid 7. See you tomorrow. Don't let the masters ready down. Watch out for snakes. Bye now.